Thursday edition of the Drew and KB Show without Drew or KB. Still down in Mexico for one more day after today. They come home on Saturday. As long as everybody passes all of their COVID tests, I'm Doug Russell. Chuck Freeman once again on the other side of the table here at the Milwaukee Megaplex as we broadcast statewide. Here on the Game Radio Network. I suppose I should tweet out that we're going to be on the air again today. I haven't. I did that the first day, and I haven't been doing it since. I know. So, I've been terrible at it, too. So I'm looking for yeah, your... the people know. I'm looking at the Doug Russell Twitter right now in case you had something. I was going to retweet it, but... I didn't. You didn't do it either. We'll have to do that at some point. So word of mouth today. today. So we're mm-hmm. on the air. Let everybody know. Let your friends know. Let your neighbors know. Let your friends' neighbors know that we're going to be here. For the next three hours. Yeah, we're going to be here for three hours. It's been a fun week so far. Yeah. You know, we're, we're here on thir- Thursday, yeah. We're going to talk uh, to J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel coming up in hour number two. Matt Miller from OnMilwaukee.com, their culture writer, will join us. Looking forward to uh, speaking with Matt. I don't know that I've ever... I've, I have been on the radio with Matt. I was like, I'm trying to think when the last time that Matt and I spoke off of the air, and that was about two weeks ago. Last time we spoke on the air, I think, mm-hmm. was about two-ish years ago or so. Okay. He's the son of the great Gene Miller. He is. Yes. Who is retiring uh, at the end of next week, believe okay. it or not. That's coming up soon. Who and I've you? been taking advantage. I know we're supposed to you know, not talk about the competition or anything like that, but I've been taking advantage of the last couple of weeks, just listening to the last couple of weeks of Gene Miller doing some uh, some radio shows. Yeah, I mean, a legend uh, and a guy who reinvented himself Yeah, from Reitman and Miller mm-hmm. doing the morning show, um, you know, with the music and all that. And uh, then now, you know, the, the last 15 years news talk. Yeah. Just walked across the hall and yeah. has been uh, the morning man over on TMJ since, gosh, 20, 2010, maybe in 20, the broadcasting, 2007, 2008, something like in, that. In the broadcasting business, you kind of kind of have to do that. You kind of have to. I've had to do it a couple of times. Me too. But the thing that's astonishing to me about Gene is that he has been in that building, that same building on Capitol Drive. Now Mm -hmm. that those two stations are moving out, and (laughs) right as as Gene leaves, so are they. But he's been in that building doing morning drive radio on one of the stations there since 1982. Isn't that amazing? He's had bosses that weren't born yet. No, I know. When he started to do probably, award-winning radio. Probably bosses who weren't born yet who tried to tell Gene how to do radio. That happened once. And then Gene just probably should be able to give them the middle finger. and Saw say, that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Gene gave him the middle finger? Good oh, I didn't, I didn't. Well, I wasn't privy to that conversation. Okay. All I heard about was uh, don't you, you don't need to talk to. I don't, I don't need to be spoken to that way. Because I had that same conversation with that same program director. Okay. And who's no longer there? Because those guys no. last real quick. No, they don't. You know, when somebody comes at you like that, you're thinking, okay, uh, you'll get yours eventually. Yeah. I mean, this was a guy who tried to tell Gene that uh, the word is was something that was uh, not supposed to be spoken on the radio station. The word is? What yeah. do you mean? In, like, in, in what it's, context? Yeah. WTMJ Newstime 1233, not WTMJ Newstime is 1233. Oh, okay. This yeah. is not WTMJ radio, by the way. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean. You can't pretend that other stations don't exist. Well, there's, you know, those guys... Guys like Miller, those are our forefathers in the broadcasting business. In a roundabout way, they made it possible for guys like us. Oh, 100%. And I did a to, show with Gene for five years. You know, they did. And, um, you know, and I've, I've been, you know, acquaintance or friends with him for, for quite a long time, seen him at games. Um, he was sitting in our season tickets spot uh, two summers ago, you know, because he, he goes mm-hmm. to, he's got, the, I think he's got the, the uh, the monthly pass mm-hmm. where you buy. So he was sitting in our seat, and I'm like, oh, man, Gene Miller's sitting in our seat. How do you kick Gene Miller out of your seat? 
You don't. It's in the wrong seat. So I walk by. He's a Gene. I said, "Oh, Gene, you're sitting in our seat." So now I can go find another seat. You know, Gene, you're Gene. You know, so nicest guy in the world. Oh, absolutely. You know, keep the score. Something you know, you keep. Every time I've seen him at a Brewer game, he's keeping mm-hmm. score. It's a lost start, which I love doing. Oh, me too. I love keeping score. It I keeps keep me score. In the game. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of it is for me is that I. If I'm sitting in the stands, you can do it with a pencil. But if I'm mm-hmm. in the press box, I have different colored pens. I I've have seen a whole, that. Yeah, I have a whole well, mug of pens. You bring out, um, not only do you bring out pens, you bring out the cup holder yeah. with the pens. Yeah, it's a coffee mug. Yeah, you bring out a coffee mug with all the pens and different colors and all Different that. colors. I've got straight edges. I've got, uh, well, every pitcher gets a different color. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it differently. And that's the beauty. Uh, there are certain things that are universal when you're scoring a game, like K, a frontwards K is swinging strikeout, backwards K mm-hmm. is a strikeout when you're caught looking. That's universal. But there's different little tweaks that everybody else has when they're scoring a game. Some guys do it in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the play-by-play guys do it. They have, you know, they, at the beginning of the season, they'll buy a book, mm-hmm. which has 200 or so, give or take. Drew Olson And a depth chart and all that, yes. Who's normally at you know, doing the show at this point. And they they write everything by hand. Uh, others will take the printed out score sheet that's already provided mm-hmm. in the press box. And generally that's the one that I use as, as much as possible because my handwriting generally is pretty terrible. Uh, so every different pitcher for me has a different color. So that's easy for me to say mm-hmm. and to see where – you know, X pitcher went out of the game, and, and this is what they're responsible for. And so I have a, I run through about five of them, uh, different colors, and then I go back, start with blue and end with blue. So then I'll just recycle. So they'll be pink, they'll be green, they'll be red, they'll be this, they'll be that. And if it's an RBI, I'm, I denote it with a red R mm-hmm. where that batter hit. Or if it's a two-run single, it'll be like a 2R. So it's it, everything is different. Runs, for me, when you <clears throat> score a run... That's uh, denoted by, you know, some people circle it, some people color it all the way in. I highlight it. What I think is cool is there are people who, you know, wear shut-ins or, you know, they can't get out or whatever, but they look forward to each night the Brewer game coming on TV. Sure. And you know what they do? They sit in front of the set, they got a scorecard, scorebook, and they keep score of the game. I think that's fantastic. You know who used to score every game that they were at? Barbara Bush, former first lady. Okay. She and George, and I saw this when I was in Houston. They were still going to games at the time. This was before mm-hmm. uh, the president fell ill and wasn't able to go to games anymore. But they were they were two rows behind the dugout, kind of set off to the side a little bit. I think they used to sit front row, but... Then the team got sold, and the owner wanted those seats. But the president, Mrs. Bush, they were still there. And Mrs. Bush, Barbara Bush, the late first lady, mm-hmm. she used to have a scorebook, and she would score every single game. Well, I score. Uh, we go to the Sunday games. We have the Sunday tickets. So when I'm not covering the game, we sit in the stands. But we always make it a point to buy the $2 score guard. And uh, I think it's $2. Um, you know, the one-pager. The Cubs used to do this. They used to have the, you know, just a regular, it's like a, a folder. And it's got the lineups in it and all mm-hmm. that. Yep. You got to write the scores in, or you got to write the the lineups in. They got the the rosters in there, and mm-hmm. you go from there. So we do that. Me and my ten year old, we we do that all the time. Uh, we, you know, we keep score, and you know, it's usually me doing it most of the time. And then you know, if I got to take him to the bathroom, then I got to give the scorecard off to Shannon, and I got to come back, and I got to like, oh, <laughs> does she know how to score? No, but she does an all right job for 
Okay. Trying to figure it out and all that, but I always got to, you know. Well, years ago, I did the Brewers postgame show, too. So I would, if I if it was a road game, mm-hmm. I would do it from the station, and I would just kind of follow along. I'd have a, the TV at my desk, and I would score a game that way. Now, if they were at home, I would, but it's just easy to see. So if you know how to score a game, you know how to read a score sure. card, and then you can talk about what happened in the fourth inning, and, you know, this batter did this, and this batter did that, and so on and so forth down the line. And it was just the way that I developed how to score a game, it just made it easy for me to then regurgitate that in a linear way on the air. If you go back, if I and I probably still have some of those scorecards, if mm-hmm. I go back and look at those scorecards, I could tell you exactly you know, what happened and probably do the show just sure. based on that scorecard. Yeah, I've done reports just looking at the scorecard. Yeah. But, I mean, my system is, everybody's system is different. Yep. Mine's different than yours. Um, what ha- The problem is sometimes you'll get to chat with somebody and then all of a sudden you might miss a batter and you'll, you know, you might put a strikeout for Braun here uh-huh. when it, w- it really should have belonged to, you know, Lorenzo Cain. And you're like, oh, wait, Cain. Oh. That happens in spring training a lot. Oh. If I'm not... If I have to do a post game show and I need to know what happened, you can go back and check the play by play. Yeah, and, oh yeah, and, you, and, and you I can do fill that. it in later. I go to the to the rundown. If I'm not doing a post game show and I don't have to know, I put a WW. Wasn't watching. Wasn't watching. <laughs> no, I'll go back and check because you can you know electronically do it. Now, there was a time I do this for basketball games too. But just keeping points and you know and fouls and mm-hmm. but not uh, you know makes and misses. But uh, you could buy the hoop magazine at uh, the Milwaukee Arena and you'd get the hoop magazine when you were a kid, and uh, you know it'd be a beautiful cover. And then you'd turn and you'd just, there'd be a scorebook in there, scorecard. Um, so you just all the players would be listed in the roster, and then you'd keep score through the game. So I found some of those as I was uh, yeah. unpacking some of my stuff. So I did it for basketball, you know, base football. I know. You know, when we cover Packer games, there are guys in the press box who will physically write down every play. Yeah, Tim Scott does that. Red Hot uh, he does? for Badgers games, and that's a good. Was, and there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Everybody has their own system. But when Red Hot was and and he still, I don't know if he's going to be doing the post game show mm-hmm. this year, but he's been doing it for the last 25 years. Irrespective of that, watching him go through the way that he does mm-hmm. for every Badgers drive, it's like okay. I get it now, and he's got such a passion for it. I hope he's back next year. It's up to him, obviously. He runs the place. But he's so good at it, and he's so meticulous with the way that he does score a game. Now, I do the Badgers basketball postgame show, and my uh, postgame notes are about, I don't know, 13, 14 pages Mm -hmm. because you have to go along, and and I want to see what other people are saying about certain stats. And, you know, that's how a game tells its story. Yeah. And the, I did the Marquette game for you, uh, Wisconsin Marquette. Mm-hmm. Same thing, you know. You got you're back there. You're keeping. I'm not keeping score, but I am keeping sort of play by play and the highlights and certain notes you're taking and all that. But I mean, like the, you know, back to Tim, keeping the play by play. And I think because um, you could easily get the the printout because they hand out the printout at every quarter, every play by play. But when you write it down, it commits the memory mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, it does. And I think that's the key. It's like keeping score at a game. It commits the memory a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I do it. And um, Yeah, and if I was doing the post game, I'd want to do the same thing because then it's easier to remember. And it keeps you into the game so you're not venturing off and talking to you know, somebody down the road. Talking here. to Gene Miller, which is how this talking whole thing started. Talking to Gene started. Miller or talking to anybody else. Or Matt Miller, who's going to be joining us in the 5 it. o'clock hour. And that's how this. <laughs> but I guarantee you, Gene doesn't, got somehow going. Gene doesn't miss a batter. No, Gene he doesn't. can talk to you and he'll still know. Well, the thing about Gene is, and my my dream is to have him 
on my local show that I do from 6 until 7 mm-hmm. on our flagship 97.3 The Game. Uh, and look, if you're a Packers fan, you did the Packers postgame show around the, you know, on the statewide network for a while, too. Uh, when was that? I don't remember that. Uh, about 10 years ago. He did? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. Yeah. Huh. He's very well versed. He should be in the Wisconsin Broadcasters Hall of Fame already. He sh- oh, of course he should. And if he's not in this year, we riot. At uh, least it's I Reitman? Do. They both should be separately. Separately. I don't believe Bob is. Yeah, but some salesperson is going to be in there who's, you know, run a small town radio station, which is fine. But then, you know. Yeah. I have my own. How's Gene Gene not in the broadcast? Come on. Uh, He's got to be isn't either, and that's another oversight. Matt LaPay. He's not in. I know. Well, Wayne Larrabee finally got in this year. Well, is it because that you have to retire to get in? No, Wayne's in. Wayne just got in. in. So Wayne is in. Wayne is in. Wayne's not going anywhere. Wayne's going to be with us soon. And LePay has been doing it longer in the state than Wayne. LePay, he started doing basketball, I want to say, late 80s. Yeah. And then he took over football in 94, I want to say. Yeah, when uh, when Learfield got it for Brian Manthe. Yes. Uh, Oh, LePay is... Sure, ballot, sure, first team ballot Hall of Famer right there. Not as in. is Gene. Yeah, neither one of them. Which is a ter- I have volunteered for the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association. If you need somebody to sit on your board to tell you who sure. a Hall of Famer is and who a uh, Hall of Famer isn't, I'm your guy. I will be your Huckleberry. I thought it was a big deal that I wasn't in the Martin Luther Hall of Fame. Right. God, but Gene, not the W. <laughs> Najee, not the WB, and you made me feel bad because you're in the Waukesha North Hall of Fame, and I'm it's not true. in my high school Hall of Fame. It's true. Um, uh, Our bar hasn't been set that high, though. Uh, At Waukesha North? Yeah. I mean, we got that guy from The Bachelor. That's probably the most famous. Vial? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. So I, he, he's and in his for being sister was a basketball dubia. player. Oh, I dubia. know he was a track star there, but. But I think his sister Maria, didn't she play at the I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, but. Uh, how's Gene Miller not in the Hall of Fame? And there's probably a few other names where in, in Matt LePay. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to get Gene over here. Larry to do, should like, been yesterday. He'll retire on a Friday, and I, if I have a Friday night show, I want Gene to sit in for the hour, like they did with Steve, like Drew and KB did with Steve Palak when he was retiring mm-hmm. from KLH. They had him sit in for like the five o'clock hour and just swap stories and drink bourbon. I would have liked to. Work, that was a fun. Show. I would have liked to, have, uh, you know, in my somewhere in my career. Worked with Gene because um, you know I like guys and his work ethic is great. I like mm-hmm. guys with. Big work ethics like that, who you know, who've been in the business for a long time, but still, you know what? They're getting in there at one thirty in the morning, getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was in the five years that I did that show with Gene, the morning show with Gene. I didn't walk away from one single show. I don't believe without having not learned something yeah. from Gene. Yeah, I mean, just somebody who continues to this day, and he's sprinting through the tape at the end of the at the end of the road here. And he's so well-versed in so many areas, whether it's sports or politics or news, history of the state, history of the world, hist- I mean, American history. Mm-hmm. It's like one thing after another. And how it all fits in his brain, I have the faintest idea. The guy who I learned from is a man by the name Mike Sullivan, um, who retired, worked on our, our affiliate in Eau Claire, um, the fan, but it was... Uh, you know, it was WJJK AM fourteen hundred back then, and WBIZ, uh, and, and Sully was a, an amazing broadcaster. That guy could have worked anywhere, but he loved living in Eau Claire, and he loved his family, and he didn't want to take his kids out of school, and he was up for other jobs, and he just stayed there. But that guy, I mean, 
you know, I was in college and I learned under this guy, and he was in his you know upper thirties, and he's still with us today. He's retired and he's enjoying life. Um, but I mean, it's to work to be able to you know work next to Gene Miller or to work against you know with a Mike Sullivan who's in the Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. Um, you know, work next to those guys and see how they do it. Man, it's so it's so cool for a young broadcaster. I had a chance to work with Ted Moore uh, in this building that we're in right now. Out of college, he um, he did sports. At the end of his career, he was doing sports on uh, AM 920 in Milwaukee. And Ted didn't even need to write any sports. He'd just come in and ad-lib a sports cast. He was so good. Oh, yeah. And he, was the, he did the ice ball. And I'm working with Ted Moore. God, it was just um, amazing. Uh, I work with, let's see, Jim Irwin at the end of his career. Work with Gordon oh, Hinckley at the guy. end of his career. Another guy, yeah. A couple of, couple of real legends. Over in that green, building. yeah, I work with Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I lived with Jonathan during the Super Bowl week in New Orleans. You did. You I had a house down there. We had they they rented two condos for us. Mm-hmm. And this was before these were Airbnbs before Airbnb was a thing. Sure, and it was Scotty Pfeiffer, Phil Cianciola, and Len Casper in one of them, and then me and Green in the other. It was fun. Wow, I was surprised Green was there. Uh, he, I don't he's still with us, isn't he? Yeah, he's still around. Okay. I think he just moved back from Arizona, so he might be out there. Hi, John, if you're out there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have... We've yeah, got John's some, still very much with us, yeah. We got some broadcast lenses. Uh, you know, I mean, even all those years covering games, uh, you know, working elbow to elbow again with the, the Hank Stoddards and, the, you know, the Earl Gillespie's mm-hmm. at the end of his career and guys like that. I never, I never, I never met Earl Gillespie. His grandson was uh, our wedding singer, though. Yes, and I knew his I son, his. John Gillespie, um, you know, back in the 80s. His son was a sportscaster in town, still does a fishing show, uh, and John was a great guy. Um, but, yeah, we've had, I mean, the legends in the state of Wisconsin without broadcasters. And Gene Miller, how he's not in the Broadcasting Hall of Fame is a shame. So do we got to wait till these guys die to put them in? Is that what we're doing? God, I hope not. Guy, like I, I mean, said, Wayne is in. Yes. So you don't have to be retired. You certainly don't have to be dead. So well, I don't know what they're waiting for. Let's get on this. Let's do this. And get LePay. Yeah, uh, Matt LePay should have been yesterday, too. thousand percent. Let's see. Uh, from the 414, Gene Miller's best work was when he was at QFM with Jim Rodeo in the mornings. That didn't last very long. but <sighs> No, that was uh, I was really young when that. I don't, yeah. I, I don't barely remember that. I, I first started listening. Actually, I first started listening to the radio with Reitman and Miller in the early 80s. Well, um, one of the first Bucks games I covered was a Bucks playoff game. Uh, in 1983, and my media seat on the baseline was next to Gene Miller. Oh, had the that, big glasses at the time and sure. all that. Had the mustache. Couldn't have been nicer, yes. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Mike in the base says, Doug, what about Frank Caliendo? What about Frank? He's a comedian. Yeah. Don't put him in the Broadcasters no. Hall of Fame. No. He, no. Comedian Hall of Fame? Yeah. Not Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Has he even worked? Did he ever do radio? Or mm-hmm. No, he's always been a comedian. He's always been a comic. Yeah. I mean, I knew him before he was funny, but... <laughs> well, he played school. Little League with him, didn't he? Uh, AAU ball. And then so we're, we had him on the, at, when we were in the Super Bowl. We mm-hmm. had him on the show we did. I, uh, back when the Packers were in Dallas. I've known Frank since we were teenagers, so that goes back about 30-plus years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but, no, he's not. Uh, I would not put him in the Broadcasters Hall of Fame. The, the, the Broadcasters Hall of Fame, the Wisconsin Broadcasters Hall of Fame, they do these videos every year. Uh, for the people who are in, and they're just phenomenal. They do oh, a yeah. five-minute vignette on these guys, and I just love going back and watching them. Well, because it's such a look back into the – and if you're a broadcasting nerd, if you're a radio nerd like we are, mm-hmm. y- you love all that old stuff. Sure. And I like going back and looking at the 
the WBA Hall of Fame because I've worked with a lot of the people that are in there, which means that I'm old. So, but well, Gene, Gene needs to be in, has to be. Yeah. In. It's not complete without him. No, and, and they include everybody around the state, but I mean, there's there's some people in there I've seen. There's a, a lot, there's that a lot. Gene of, should be ahead of. Yeah, there's a lot of general managers and salespeople that are in there. You know, I, it's almost the I'm, old boys club. Some of that is. Yeah, you kind of got it. I mean, I said it. It is. Let's face it. Some oh, of that it is. is. But, you know, let's. Uh, Let's get on G. Miller getting in that Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Without a doubt. Are you watching the Olympics at all? Um, no. I'm following it, Doug. Okay. I'm following it. You know, like the uh, I did not watch the, the, the hockey the ladies hockey game last night. Um, no. You know, I had the you know, the other night after the Super Bowl it happened to be on because they rolled right from their Super Bowl coverage on NBC right into Olympics. But I'm not into it. Um none of it. Hmm. I, and I'm, and it's sad because the Winter Olympics are my favorite ones too. I'm just not, I'm not in. I wonder if anybody else is. You can hit us up on the text line, four one four seven nine nine one nine seven three again four one four seven nine nine one ninety seven three. Drew and KB without Drew or KB, they're in Mexico. They're doing their show from nine until noon. I'm Doug Russell. He's Chuck Freeman. We're sitting in, keeping the chair warm for them. Would love to hear from you as well. Stay with us. When you lie, you. Said the gun was mine. Isn't cool? No, I don't like you. But I got smarter, I got harder in the nick of time. Honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. I got a list of names and yours is in red underlined. I check it once, then I check it twice. Some of the newest members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And deservedly so. Absolutely. How, how, again, how are the Go-Go's, you know, one of the great girl groups of all time. How how were they not in yesterday? Supremes it are in. It took them so long to get in. It was absurd. Yeah. I mean, we're talking rock and roll. Supremes of the 60s deserve it, yes. And I assume they're in. Uh, and the Go-Go's, you know, the first girl group of the rock and roll of mm-hmm. the 80s. That played all of their own instruments. All their own instruments, yes. You're exactly right. Wrote their songs. Mm-hmm. Wrote their songs. Uh, Jane Weedland's from Okotomowoc. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. This... Had a crush on Belinda Carlisle when I was 13. Well, who didn't? Yeah, that's true. Who didn't? Good point. Um, Welcome back in, by the way. Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman, in for Drew and KB But today. they're still, I think they're going on tour again, from what I understand. I hope so. I've seen them twice. I saw mm-hmm. them. I stumbled across them at Summerfest once. I didn't even know they were there. I'm like, oh, that sounds like the go. Okay, it is the Go-Go's. And then I saw them at the Riverside Theater in 1990. It was one of the, was, I think it was their first reunion tour because they had broken up because Belinda Carlisle went solo, solo for like, a while. In 86. Like something solo. like that. Yeah. And she did Circle in the Sand and all that other crap. That Mad about you? Yeah, all that, you know, nonsense. Well, there were some big she hits. Was, she, had. I, she had a lot of big hits. She's Remember a great, she, wonderful she, singer, but she needed the band. She needed the other girls. She posed in, well, she had some huge songs. And then, you know, the Go-Go's got, I saw the Go-Go's, well, you know, my go, my Belinda Carlisle story. I told, did I ever tell you that? When, I don't um, believe so, but I'd love to hear it. Mid-80s, uh, I was working for um, a radio station here in town. Which, it's our building, 95.7. I was working there. And yeah, our station. Two doors down. Yes, but it was on Capitol Drive at the time. And um, I was a kid in high school, and um, 
We're doing. We're broadcasting from backstage at Summerfest. Oh, very cool. We're broadcasting from backstage from Summerfest. Our, our, and I was a guy low on the totem pole. I was in high school. I was just covering games, and that was it. I was not on the air. I was just covering games. So the disc jockey said, Chuck, you want to come down uh, tonight? I just happened to be hanging around because I'd be one of these kids just go hang around the studios. And he goes, I'm, um, you know, the, the, we're supposed to have the go-go stop by. I said, oh, really? Okay, cool. So went there. Went backstage, broadcast. You know, this guy was broadcasting from the old, the old main stage. Sure. And sure enough, they said we're going to bring the Go Go's out. They brought the Go Go's out about you know four o'clock in the afternoon. They were goofier than goofy. Okay. And by goofy, you mean coked out? Well, whatever they were on. Okay. Yeah. They were, and so I was going to get out of my chair, and so they could sit down. And Belinda Carlisle, who I didn't know her name at the time, <laughs> I didn't know who I knew she was the lead singer, but I don't. And she goes, "Oh no, that's high, honey. You can sit right there. I'll just sit in your lap." Sold. I'm 16, 17 years old. And, you know, the Go-Go's lead singer is sitting in my lap. So there she did. You know, she smelled a combination of cigarettes, perfume, and whatever. And um, she was sitting in my lap and um, goofier than heck. And What's that did, poking you? What is that? Was there for, you know, 35, 40 minutes. She did the interview and along with the rest of them. And that was that. You couldn't get out of that chair for about a half an hour, oh, could you? Oh, it was in glory, yes. But, you know, this is the day before cameras and selfies and you know, I had nothing, I had no autographs or anything like that. I just, uh, yeah, I was down there. It was oh, it was awesome. It was my Belinda Carlisle experience. I was in love. The uh, only thing that I know about Belinda Carlisle uh, for sure is because she said this. I think she wrote this in her autobiography. She was as much of the quote. She lived the rock star lifestyle as mm-hmm. much as any of the guys. Well, yeah, you could tell when they came out that day, and this was you know, mid early eighties. That's why she wanted to sit on your lap. She was. Yeah, but, you know, she didn't know. I don't think she knew how old I was. Um, or did she, or she may not have cared. Oh yeah, but but Doug, I'm telling you, all four or five of them, they were they were living large before that. Con- it was the middle of the afternoon, and they were already you know on something because they came in there and wow, strange, bizarre, and um, they're coked out of their mind. They were okay, probably. But you know, when I'm 16, you don't know what they're on. True, you just think they're goofy. Yeah. But then later you realize, well, you know, this is... Yeah, I mean, she's written about it. She's Yeah. She had as much funny, f- fun as any of the guys in Motley Crue. Sure. And if you ever saw that movie mm-hmm. that they made about, I don't know, six yeah. or seven years ago, I mean, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah with those sure. clowns. And then she came out a few years after that with all those solo songs, as you were mentioning, Heaven on Earth and all that, Heaven is a Place on Earth. And, and uh, you so know... It was just soft. It was like soft rock. I like nope. I like the go-go stuff yep. so much better. Yeah. I mean, she had, you know, two big... Two big albums off of that, and then um, and then Go Go's, but they've been touring off and on for the last um, you know thirty years too, thirty five years. Uh, and the four one four saw the Go Go's open for NXS at the old main stage at Summerfest. That might have been, might have, it was NXS there too. That might have been it. That might have been it. That might have been it. Yes. In eighty, let's see, let's. Uh, Dick, the bartender. I see you. I'm not going to read that. No, I think it, you know. Uh, I, I think I, you know. I think I think the Go Go's were the main act, and Mister Mister was the opening act. Okay. Let's see. From the nine two zero separately uh, from the four one four. I know where you're going with this. The Go Go's in excess in pouring rain in a torrential downstorm down uh, rainstorm. No, that was Summerfest, it. summer of eighty four. That was not it. Okay. No, uh, that in excess concert that you're talking about. That was. Uh, 1986, and it got canceled because of a, the final day of Summerfest. It was a torrential downpour. Um, I don't think that wasn't the same one. Okay. 
Uh, Adam writes, uh, we were talking about the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Dennis Krause, absolutely. Oh, yeah. DK? Yeah. Uh, Scott and Tosa, what about Bob Barry? I think Bob Barry's in. Uh, I believe Bob Barry is in. Yeah. Met Bob Barry about, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Nicest Mm. man in the world. Yeah, nicest man. I worked with him at the old ninety five seven too. He was he he came back out of out of retirement to do mornings there for a while when they switched to oldies. Okay. I am not watching the Olympics. Back to what we were going to talk about. Mm -hmm. I I've watched so little of them, and I think it's because of a number of different things. I think number one, it's because when it's on the other side of the world, you're generally not watching a lot of them live. Mm -hmm. Now I've Got them in my sports reports today. And I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert because, I mean, everything's out there nowadays. If you're going to listen to a sports update, the chances are that you're going to hear the results. I mean, this isn't 1980. And even in 1980, Miracle on Ice, mm-hmm. that that was spoiled by some Vince update Gibbons. anchor. Vince Gibbons. Was it Vince Gibbons here? I think yep. it was. But it, it blurted out by somebody, it was blurted out by somebody nationally. Well, locally, too, it was Vince Gibbons. Well, may he rest in peace. Yep. Uh, but from, but he, we, Vince, great guy. Another guy should be in the Hall of Fame, hopefully. Definitely. Yeah. But how how hard do you root for Team USA? Because, I mean, I'm into it, but it's not like... Well, you know what? Anytime it's, something, it's, we fail in a sport, I just shake my head in sadness. What about hockey? Like the women's national hockey team, they lost to Canada. No shame losing to Canada. There's no shame losing to Canada. There's five Badgers on each of the teams. So, you know... And Renee Davian, Sarah Nurse, Blair Turnbull, Kristen Campbell, Emily Clark—they get gold medals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all Badgers. They're sure. all—they're they're all us. How about that? All—all all those Wisconsin Badgers playing uh, for the Olympics last night for the uh, in the women's hockey game. Yeah, but I, you know, the men—they got beat by Slovakia the night eliminated. I mean, they're not even getting close to the middle round. Um, and it just—I don't know. I'm just looking at the Olympics for the United States. I'm just sad, you know, this Russian figure skater who um, Valavia. She, uh, I don't know how she was allowed to skate to begin with, with an illegal substance in her. I don't know who around her allowed that to happen to begin with. And, um, you know, and as a result, you know, she, she fell. She was clearly the overwhelming favorite to win the speed skating for Russia and uh, did not win. Now, somebody speak, look at that and laugh at Russia. You know, the poor kid, you know, she was controlled by adults there and the adults screwed up. She's 15 years old, you know. Well, that's usually the way that it goes. It's usually the adults screwing it up for the younger people. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I don't understand, though. The Russian Olympic Committee is still Russia, Mm -hmm. right? Putin was still there, right? Yep. So the IOC, who are they they kidding? Who – they – one, because of the whole doping ban, they're like, we're going to ban Russia. No, you didn't. You didn't yeah. ban Russia at all. You put everything under a different flag, and Russia is still in the, na- the name of the sure. team. Yeah. If you're going to ban somebody, ban somebody. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to ban Russia because all the Russian money. Yeah, It's like China. We should you know? I don't want to get into a political discussion. We're going to talk about Mich- Michelle Tafoy a little bit later on in the show. But if there were any scruples from the Olympic Committee... You tell China to go take a flying leap. Yeah, no, I, and yet here we are. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm pulling for the United States. Uh, I'm not paying as much attention as I have in the past. What is your um? When you think back at, now, the Olympics, the speed skiing, I would always get into the speed skating. Sure. I love the speed skating, and this is from long track, know, short short track. Well, this is back when the Heidens, you know, back in 1980. Okay, 
when Eric Hayden and um, his sister uh, Beth Beth Hayden, yeah, were there, and Eric was dominating. Okay, and I believe Beth won gold too. But you know, she was always in, unfortunately, in Eric's shadow. But you know, she was great in her own way too. Um, and then you know, the Jansen story came across in eighty in nineteen eighty eight, and then into. Uh, 1992, um, but we've had you know, Bonnie Blair, obviously, mm-hmm. was, Wisconsin was kind of her adopted state. But, I mean, I really used to get into speed skating. Now, there was I didn't I don't even know how the kid from Kowaskum did. We had, There was a speed skater. For, now, you wouldn't think Kowaskum would produce a speed skater. But. Yeah, but Wisconsin has produced so many speed skaters in long track and in mm-hmm. short, short track. I mean, Allison Dudek is an Olympic Another one. medalist yeah. from yeah. Hales Corners. Yeah. She got bronze in Vancouver. Wasn't she in studio with us one time? Yeah. 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 Okay. But You've been still, in the studio with me a couple of times. Yeah. Um, no, I'm saying you and I together. Yeah. No, I um, remember. Uh, it's the only medal. It's the only Olympic medal that I've ever worn. I've held Bonnie Blair's in my hand. Yeah. Uh, but the only one that I've ever worn is the first one I think I ever saw. And this is the I think that appearance that you were talking about. And I'm just looking at. It. She's like, "You want to put it on?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Put it on." I mean, is it cool? <sighs> It is oh, cool. And they're it's heavy. Yeah. They're so heavy. You know, uh, the 80 Olympics, when the United States won the Olympics, uh, won, won, the, won hockey, um, you know, that was my first real recollection of the Olympics uh, when that happened. Because that started a little bit of a hockey craze, you know. I remember my grade school at Our Father's Lutheran, uh, 27th Street. You know, we got um, uh, floor hockey stuff, and we were playing floor hockey at Rhesus and a gym and all that. And that was all... That was all piggybacked off what happened with uh, the Olympic team in 1980. And they since then, they haven't won gold. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be difficult for Team USA to win hockey gold, at least on the men's side. On the mm-hmm. women's side, you know, they won it four years ago, and they were trying to repeat this year, and it just didn't happen. But, again, you're right. There's no shame in losing to Canada uh, in that. And women's hockey hasn't even been a sport for that long. Mm-hmm. It's only been in the last... 25, 30 years or so that it's even existed, which is hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. But look, if Team USA doesn't win in an Olympic sport, eh, am I going to feel any differently about anything? No. I mean, I remember when the Dream Team, and this is the Summer Olympics, mm-hmm. but it was back in 92, yep. when they were obliterating everybody by 50 points, it was boring. I love the thing that I like about the Olympics is when they actually really did use amateur athletes. And that's what we're seeing this year with the hockey. Mm-hmm. Teams because you're not getting guys from the NHL again this time around, and I'm good with that. So I, I am too because you, you want to see at least as much as possible. And I know this is going to sound old man yelling at cloud. It's going to sound Pollyannish. I get it. So you don't have to hit us up on the talk and text line on that because I already know. But I'd like to see at least the Olympics to be at least try to be as pure as possible. Now, we are talking about the the medals that the United Purely States has amateuristic, won. amateuristic, I mean. You know, the medals that the United States has won and all that. And, you know, it seems like they're doing a lot worse than what the medal count really is. You know, it just I just feel like, I don't know, when you see some of these other countries ahead of us, it's like, man, how come we're not doing a little better than we are? Mm-hmm. That's just my feeling on it, you yeah. know. And, and then when I see, you know, you look at the leaderboard of some of these events that were not even in the top ten. It's like wow, greatest country and one of the most powerful countries in the world, and we're not uh, we're not even close well, to getting a medal. But there are some sports that we concentrate on, and there are some sports that we don't concentrate sure. on. And there are some countries that that's their whole identity. Mm-hmm. And you know, we talked about Russia before. I mean, Putin puts so much money into, and that's part of the reason that they got dinged for doping is because it's so important to the 
perceived prestige of these countries that they do well on this international competition stage. When you look at when Russia, it's, not an, it's not as important here. Even with the speed, uh, the, the figure skater, when Russia has an extraordinary athlete, don't you always think now, and they do well, okay, what's going on there? Sure. It's impossible not to. You know, they, they, they brought that upon themselves. Sure, they did. But, you know, what's the real consequence of what they did? Mm-hmm. It wasn't a ban. It was, you can't use your flag and we won't count it on your official metal tracker of all time. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's like the NCAA, when they try to vacate wins, mm-hmm. you know they happened. When the NCAA tried to vacate championships okay if you're gonna if you're going to vacate a championship then refund everybody's money if it didn't exist then you know what i wasn't there but i still paid all that money to go to the game i want a refund how about that, all the people a, that that's bet? a stupid i mean it's it's just silly all the people who bet on the game yeah you have to refund all of that then too you can't unring the bell yeah. once the bell is rung it's done mm-hmm. that's it i was going back and forth with some clown on twitter last week about how usc didn't win national championships in 2003 and 2004 well yeah of course they did well it was vacated okay then give me my money back give me my time yeah. back they happened yeah <clears throat> no i'm with you like michigan uh you know they took the banders down in michigan for basketball it's just silly you know what does it, it happen? prove? What does it accomplish? Yeah, but they cheated. But they got caught. And not the only ones cheating out there, but they you know, they, they got caught. Yeah. yeah. Um so how are the ratings doing? I, I don't even know how I, I don't I mean, they can't I mean if you and I aren't watching it and you know a lot of people I talk to that aren't watching it, who's watching the Olympics? The Olympics kind of snuck up on me this time because we had just had the Olympics because of COVID, they were Mm-hmm. shelved for a year, the Summer Olympics. And it just seems like we're coming off the heels of the Summer Games, and now here come the Winter Games just a couple of months later. Like it used to be before they had the staggering every you know, every two years when mm-hmm. the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics were in you know, the same year, right up until I think 92 or so or something like that. It, it reminded me of that, and maybe that's why it snuck up on me a little bit this year. The only reason that I knew that the Olympics were actually happening, uh, two things. Number one, the television schedule has been all jumbled up because NBC wants to play all of the Olympics. And the other thing is that our friend Lori Nichols over there, and she's posting like a mad woman on social media. Yeah, how about that? that, they, that that's, they, the only thing, that's the only thing that I know is going on over there. She's the only locally local media person over there, right? I believe so. No. I think Because so. there was a time... Is Zora over there, or is she in Connecticut? Well, there was a time uh, when... Zora, who would she be covering? For Fox? No, she's on NBC. She's covering basketball for... Oh, no, she is? Not basketball. Uh, she'll be covering basketball next year, but I think she's doing... Um, well, she hasn't been on the Bucks television broadcast. No. Um, Melanie Ricks has been doing the television I, broadcast. I know. Well, Zora's been working Olympics for Did Zora have like, surgery? I thought she was working for the Olympics. Okay, well, maybe you're right. You know, um, But I, I I thought she was going over to recover basketball in the summertime. I, I think she's she doing was, that as well. Okay, I didn't know she was doing winter, too. Um, but... I thought now, I saw an Olympics poster, but maybe I'm wrong. Now, when your TV station, when your TV, like like for Channel Four, okay, NBC, in the past, like if NBC had the Olympics, those guys would be going over there and covering it. Oh yeah, I don't think anybody's over there. I think Lance Allen used to cover yeah 
Olympics on site mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for years and years and years. Cover the local We were guys. talking about Gene Miller earlier. They used to send him and Reitman when they were yes. on KTI. They would send them all over the world and cover the Olympics. But those days are done. Those days are long yeah. gone. Oh, oh, yeah. Long, long gone. Yeah. So I think maybe part of that, watching the news, we don't see you know these people doing uh, locally doing their news and sportscasts over uh, at the Olympics. you got to wonder, though, if you're a news director, how much of a bang do you get for your buck with that? I don't know. You get a little kickback from the network for going? Do they help you Sometimes. out? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gene and Bob, they would go over there on, I think it was Coca-Cola's dime. Okay. So yeah. it's not like Journal yeah. Company at the time. It doesn't exist anymore. It's not like Journal Company was paying for it. So the Olympics, we, we still got like another week of it, right? Or another couple more days? Oh, God, I'm tired. Sunday? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Want some more go-go's? Yeah, the Kogos are never a bad, bad deal in February or any time. All right. I'm Doug. He's Chuck. Favorite Gogo song? Ooh. Probably we got the beat. I'm just going you know, to go with the classics. Okay. The encore song. Sure. Yeah, go with the All encore right. song. Okay. It's usually never a, it's never a bad Head choice. over heels. I like head over heels. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll play some for you right here. I think you're right here, yeah. Yeah, this is it. All right. Uh, this is sports and stuff because that's what we do. Drew and KB there doing their sports and stuff from 9 until noon. I'm Doug. He's Chuck. We're just getting warmed up. We're not even an hour into this thing yet. We're still going to talk to Matt Miller. Still going to talk to J.R. Radcliffe. We're going to talk about the worst trades in Wisconsin sports history because that was a Twitter battle last week, too. Between you and I. I know. (laughs) It's a good thing we, you know, have 15 hours on the radio this week to flesh this out. Yeah. Stay with us. Without Drew or KB, those guys are in Mexico for one more day, one more Friday, if they're able to do their show. You know, in between all of the sunburns and the margaritas and all the fruity drinks down there, I know I'd gained about twenty pounds if I was down there. Yeah, that's kind of how vacation sometimes goes. I feel like I've gained about twenty pounds this week to fill you in. <laughs> well, because you do mornings on WIBA in Madison, come back and do and this, and you come back and you do this on the statewide network. I'm Doug Russell. He's Chuck Freeman. But it's been fun. It's been a fun week for me. It has been fun. And coming up a little bit later on in the program, in hour number two, we'll check in with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's J.R. Radcliffe. He always has some uh, fun lists that he puts together and got me to thinking about a fun list that you and I kind of started to talk about as well. Also, I should mention this, Tom Clemens has accepted the job as Packers quarterbacks coach. This is according to Rob Domovsky. Uh, from ESPN. The contract has not been signed yet, but is expected to be just a mere formality at this point. Which is funny, because this weekend I was looking through, um, as I'm unpacking some stuff from the move, uh, some old Sports Illustrated, and there was Clements um, from his days as a quarterback at Notre Dame on the cover of SI. Oh, that goes way back. Yeah. About 1975 or so? I was going to say, right before Montana, correct? Yeah. So I was looking, all of a sudden that's there, and... um, so I'm going to have to revisit that one. And Aaron Rodgers obviously has a lot of familiarity with Tom Clemens, who used to be the offensive coordinator with the Packers, passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach. So you would think that number 12 signed off on this, and that's probably just one more way to say, hey, Aaron, this is where you want to be, right? So if right? uh, Aaron... You don't want to go to Colorado anymore. 
So if Aaron decides to not come back, Columbus has still got a job, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, that'd be kind of cool. They're not going to say, well, you know, Aaron's not coming back. So Aaron's not coming back, so neither are you. All right. Speaking of J.R. Radcliffe, he's going to help us out with this coming up in about a half an hour. But I want to start fleshing this out a little bit with you guys as well. And on the talk and text line, 414-799-1973, because this got a lot of run when it was pointed out that at the trading deadline, what was it, uh, 19 years ago, mm-hmm. Ray Allen was traded away to the Seattle Sonics for a McDonald's Happy Meal and some pocket lint. And I still maintain, and I will never be convinced otherwise, that that was not the worst trade in Wisconsin sports history. When it happened that night, no one said anything about that because everybody was excited about getting the glove. That's not, that's factually incorrect. I I don't know. That's factually incorrect. No, I decided, because I, I know I screamed bloody murder. Well, I, okay, you might have been in it. You might have, yeah. But I'm just saying, I, you know, we're getting the glove. We are getting the glove. And, you know, pairing up with George Carl. And, and obviously... Looking back, was a terrible trade. But that at the time, I was, I think I was just so, you know, that night I was glove. apoplectic and it hasn't gotten any better. Not one ounce better since it was first announced 19 years ago. But where does that stand in the pantheon of horrific moves made by our beloved sports franchises? Apoplectic, yes. Apoplectic. Uh, ostensibly. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Stuck and shocked for Truman KB. Stay with us. Somebody put one of those tins of popcorn in the break room. And them, well, they have the, so good. They have the three tins. There's a, a spacer there. Yeah, you got caramel corn. You got regular popcorn. That was long gone. Yeah, you got caramel corn, popcorn, and the um, cheese corn. Yeah, I would have thought the cheese corn would have been gone first. The caramel corn was is non-existent right now. Non-existent. It was in there yesterday, and every time I go back there because I'm filling up my water bottle mm-hmm. during the break. Um, like, ah, you know what? That looks good right there. So I took I a handful. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. You know, I've been so the good. same way. It's like you just go by it. Even if you're at a party and you see that at a target, you just can't help it. You grab something. Yeah, no. it's not good. Welcome back in. Hour number two. Doug Time Russell, is. Chuck Freeman in for Drew and KB. They will be back here from 3 until 6 on Monday. If you want to listen to the Drew and KB radio experience, uh, you'll have to do that either one of two ways. Listen at 9 o'clock on many of these same stations. Uh, including our flagship 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. Uh, they are down in Mexico as part of Sunburn Bowl 3. So they're on those three hours. Uh, otherwise, you can find their show on the iHeartRadio app on the podcast. Yep, and then we go back on Monday to being uh, you know, our ordinary guys around here, you and I. Yeah, there's always something to do. Yeah, oh, of course there is. Always something to do. Uh, so I'm Doug, he's Chuck, and the Talk and Text line is open to you at 414 799 one nine seven three. Okay. So last week I was reminded that at the deadline 19 years ago, the Milwaukee Bucks made the fateful decision that set their franchise back for a eh, decade or so by giving away Ray Allen in his prime, not on an expiring contract to the Seattle Supersonics for Gary Payton. And Desmond Mason is also part of that trade. But basically, your principal's Ray Allen, Gary Payton, 
I've screamed bloody murder at the time, and I have never thought any differently about that trade. And I don't care if I was validated or not. I knew that it was a disaster, and I will forever maintain. And you are not going to convince me otherwise because I have counterarguments that will back me up, I think. That that was the worst trade in Wisconsin. Well, the Bucks need, here. Here's the, here was the theory behind that. That was Georgia's trade. Obviously, uh, the Bucks needed to get better defensively, and at the time, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, well, Michael Red sure did that, didn't he? Hmm? Michael Red. That, that's who took over for Ray Allen. Oh yeah, the worst well, defender I've ever seen. No, I know, but he was a scorer, and they were hoping the Glove would come in because you had Glove, you had him, and you know you thought that Glove was going. But the Glove was aging. Glove didn't want to be here, and. It turned out, yes, of course it turned out to be a bad trade. But at the time, I was thinking, okay, we're getting a future Hall of Famer. Now, Ray went on to solidify a Hall of Fame career. Mm-hmm. and But I just thought at the, at the time, I'm not ashamed to say, I thought it was a trade that was going to help them because I thought, you know, when you're bringing one of the best point guard, def- one of the best perimeter defenders of our era, uh, I thought that's what the Bucks needed because George would, after all the games, We'd talk about either um, spacing on the court, ball movement, sharing the basketball, and, of course, defense. And he, I don't think he thought he was getting enough defense, and that's they made the move. Um, now, you think if they would have kept Ray, you think that – what happens if they keep Ray? I think if they keep Ray, they don't make the mistake of overpaying Michael Redd, who had a couple of nice games and was a decent shooter, but literally is the worst defender I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could have seen Ray develop and maybe recruit a couple of guys to come – and play with him because he was respected around the league. He was an all-star caliber player. He was butting into a Hall of Fame caliber player. He was a multiple-time all-star. He was a superstar, and he was happy here. And not a lot of NBA players, before they come to Milwaukee, are happy in Milwaukee. We're with the prospect of mm-hmm. coming to Milwaukee. And here was Ray Allen, again, multiple-time all-star, superstar in the league, very well-respected, and was doing things off the court. You know, he was acted in a couple of movies. He was the lead sure. in He Got Game, and he was in another movie as well. And it just didn't make any sense to me to trade a young player who was an all-star, who was one of the best shooters, really who turned out to be one of the best shooters in league history, but certainly one of the best shooters in the NBA at the time, someone who didn't force his way out, who didn't ask for a trade to bring in somebody who didn't want to be here and who was on an expiring contract and someone who was considerably older than Ray at the time. And that led to George's departure, George Carl. Yeah, um, he should have been fired for that. Now, here's here's with Michael Red. I think he would have got that contract because I th- because Cole loved Michael Red. Cole, well, that was, I know. That and that was, was his a problem. folly. And that was a problem um, because he overloved him. Um, <laughs> overpaid him. Uh, so, but I think Michael still would have got paid. Um, I don't know how that would have worked out. I, you know, I, I came back with you and, and, and I thought, and I wasn't putting it in the same category, but I threw it out to you. I said, you know, trading Tobias Harris for JJ Redick was not a good move either. Um, Tobias is still in the league producing. Yeah, Tobias is a nice player. He's not a Hall of Famer. No, he's not. No. Um, it was a bad trade. I'm not, and I'm not but defending Tobias that trade. Is one it was a bad trade. Tobias, but if you have Tobias, Ray Allen, uh, Michael Red, you know, well, what do you wouldn't have had Red and, and Allen on the court at the same time? They played the same position. 
I suppose you're right. Yeah, you wouldn't. You know, you're right. Yeah, it's funny because Red, Red was uh, on that 2001 team. Red never came off the bench. There was a reason for that. He just well, he's a rookie. Well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't good enough. No, no. When you're when you're playing behind Ray Allen, I don't care who you are. But I think that George saw that Red needed to play more too. Well, again, that's why George Carl wasn't the coach for much longer. Yeah. Um, and yes, as George, Jay in Sockville writes on the talking text line, wasn't that Ernie Grunfeld, who was the general manager at the time? Yes, he was the general manager, but the coach had all the power. Coach had the power, and um, coach also had the ear of George of Herb uh, Herb Cole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the nine two zero, George Carl had more power than Ray Allen at that time. Obviously, wasn't going to work. Either they had to fire Carl or trade Allen. George yeah. had a piece of the pran- of the franchise. Um, he had a part of the ownership for a short time there. Didn't matter at the end. No. Um, either fire Carl or trade Allen. Desmond Mason was good for a few years. He was okay. He, he was know, average. Yeah, he was. He was cowboy. A, they called you him. You know what he was? He was a guy. He was an average guy. He was a guy. Yeah, he was a guy he, in the league. Yeah. Wasn't he? He didn't embarrass. He wasn't going to take it from the franchise land. or anything no. like that. But he wasn't going to lead you anywhere. So when you talk about the worst traits in Wisconsin sports, certainly that is up there. Up there, and you know, for you, it's it's number one, but you know, I, I think too, even you know, trading Tobias, that was not a good move. But I'm certain, you know, there, there's others too. Well, here's where we have to correct everybody about the whole Dirk Nowitzki thing too, because that's the number one thing that I got clapped back when you and I were going back and forth on mm-hmm. this. Well, trading tractor trailer for Dirk Nowitzki, that was a terrible move too. Yeah, it would have been a terrible move five years into the league. Mm-hmm. It would have been a terrible move. And Tractor Trailer, unfortunately, passed away. I don't think he was – he wasn't even 40 when he uh, met an untimely end, had had some heart problems. But the Bucks were never going to draft Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki was never going to come to Milwaukee. If you want to blame the scouting department that didn't go and scout Europe at the time, go ahead and do that. If you want to credit the Dallas Mavericks, Don Nelson Jr., he's the one who went over there, found Dirk Nowitzki – and worked out beforehand a deal that would send Dirk Nowitzki to Dallas and the Bucks would get back the rights to tractor trailer. Well, the, the the Nelsons, both you know, dad and son there, were big, you know, they were the head of their time and liking players overseas. Remember, back in the mid nineties, we didn't have this influx of players coming over. We had Tony Kukoc, maybe a couple other guys, but we didn't have as many. And at the time if if you know if Don saw a player overseas that he liked, and you were, you're thinking, okay, you know, because, you know, at the time, Don was more wrong than he was right on moves. and um, But he was right on that one. And, yeah. But, you know, they had tractor trailer, good, you know, lottery pick, good player. Um, and you thought, okay, tractor trailer, proven player in college basketball. This guy's going to come in and do a few things for the Bucks. He didn't. And, you know, Dirk went on to be Dirk. He went on to be a Hall of Famer, one yeah. of the. Great players of the last era of basketball, and and somebody who's going to wind up uh, a first balloter in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Tractor Trailer obviously never fulfilled his promise, and like I said, unfortunately and tragically um, met an untimely end. Had some heart problems. He died in Mexico, I think. He wasn't in the United States. He died somewhere. I remember him dying. I don't I remember how. It was a heart attack. Okay. I think it was in. Mm, I think it was in Mexico. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, let's see. Jake the Electrician writes, dude, Chuck, just stop. Nobody was excited for the glove. Nobody. Oh, he got a pretty – oh, I was there the night they got traded. Uh, dude, uh, he got a pretty big ovation that night. So I didn't hear anybody boo glove when he got introduced. I uh, was so – I know. was so, so pissed. Uh, son, was you know, so take that take and, you know, you can do with it. 
Uh, let's Not see. You. Dan and Dan and West Bend writes, this doesn't even come close trading Dirk for Tractor. It was... It never was going to be a thing. Dirk Nowitzki was never going to be a Buck. The Bucks did not draft Dirk Nowitzki to keep Dirk Nowitzki. That was a deal that was agreed to well beforehand. Again, if you're going to blame anybody in the Bucks organization for not having Dirk Nowitzki, you have to blame the scouting department, well, not that trade. That was That is a fallacy. It is a false narrative. I think when you're trading draft picks like that, you can't include that with trading veteran players. It's a different kind of trade. You don't know what you're going to get from Dirk. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get from Tractor Trailer. It's an unknown when players come out of college or come from over Europe what you're going to get from them. So I can't yeah, I can't count that. So Sean in the 715 and but I was course. waiting for the, I was waiting for the first person to bring up this trade. And I had to think about this because the John Hadel trade was awful as well. Mm-hmm. And this is what Sean in the 715 writes. A lot of bad ones, but the John Hadle trade has to be up there. And it is, but it's not worse than the Ray Allen trade, and I'll explain in a second. Kind of like the 70s version of the Vikings-Dallas trade for Herschel Walker. So the John Hadle trade, it was two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and a third-rounder for an aging quarterback. Didn't they call it the Lawrence Woke trade? Yeah, a, a one, two, and a two, and, and a, a one, three. Two, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Yeah, yeah that's the... Uh, Funny way of, of looking at that. It and that's 74, 75. 74, 75. And the narrative is that set the Packers back a decade. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Well, the Packers set themselves back. Exactly. <laughs> the Packers were setting themselves back. Because what were they doing with those draft picks? They were drafting guys like Bill Bain. Mm-hmm. They were drafting guys like Willard well, Harrell. This is who the Packers were drafting at that time. They were drafting, you know, some guys had some modicum of success, but... Uh, well, they drafted Eddie Steve Lee Ivory. Od- they drafted Steve Odom. Who was a good wide receiver. He was okay. Um, but Eddie Lee Ivory who tore his knee up on opening day in Chicago. He was a first-round pick, I Barty want to say. Barty Smith was a first-round pick back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Barty Smith. Yeah, fullback. This, a this, fullback. They drafted... A fullback. This is who they were going to spend those John Hadle draft picks yeah. on. They were going to draft a bunch of stiffs because yeah. that's what they did back then. Sure. The, yeah. And it was... You know, the, the Packers made one good trade back then when they picked up John Jefferson. And I forgot who they traded for to get Jefferson back in the early 80s, but they teamed him with Lofton, and that turned out to be a pretty good combination right there. Uh, John Jefferson and, and James Lofton. Might have been a draft pick yeah. um, to San Diego. But, uh, yeah, they drafted poorly. And, again, it wasn't until Ron Wolf came in 1992 because the Packer organization in the 80s and into the early 90s was living like it's 1964. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Look, the John Hadle trade, I'm not defending. It was a bad trade. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible trade. But it didn't set the Packers back at all. The Packers were horrific back then when it came to evaluating talent. How about the uh, worst trade in Brewer history? Um, There's probably a few of them. I'd have to think about a couple of them. that Giving away Nelson Cruz, but he was... I, the Brewers didn't want him to be part of the, that trade, but... At the time, unfortunately, was at the time in '83 when they traded Gorman Thomas for Rick Manning. At the time, this town was upside down upset at well, that, that move. That was because and that was more of a popularity thing. There's too. a popularity and thing. And Gorman's hitting home runs, and everybody. Yeah, but he's also hitting like 230 at the yeah. time too, yeah, or whatever well, it was. Yeah. It was a good trade. People don't want to listen. I cried. I was 10 years old. Gorman Thomas was along yeah. with Robin Yount. They were my two favorite players. I didn't want Gorman Thomas to have to be traded. 
Uh, but he was. And what the what the Brewers got back was a younger center fielder in Rick Manning and a left-handed pitcher in Rick Waits. It was a good trade when you take the emotion out of it. Uh, let's see. Kansas, Ken, the Bucks taking Monte Ellis in that trade over Curry was bad. You know, yeah. Not the worst in all time, of, of all time. Okay, so here's here's one from the 920. Back-to-back um, text messages here. Agree with Chuck. A lot of people... We're fired up about Peyton. Hindsight is twenty twenty. That's from the nine two zero. The very next text message, Michael in Whitefish Bay. I don't share Chuck's memory of Gary Peyton at all. As an employee of the team, no one was excited. So, okay, we, we, well, there you go. Half and half. Well, well, I mean, employee of the team. Okay, you knew you were in the building. Um, nine two zero. By the way, Gorman was hitting about one seventy five. Yeah, it wasn't even as good as I in eighty three. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he had better years prior. Uh, certainly, better years. Um, and and Manning was, well, I don't think Manning was ever even an all star, um, but he was a decent center fielder. Nothing great, nothing special. No, he was fantastic. okay. He, he was, was younger. Okay. He could get to more balls than than Gorman could at that time. Yeah, I think Gorman. I think Manning might have been in the league. Maybe eight, they might have been the same age, eight nine years. He looked younger. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> looked younger. But I think Manning Gorman had, had some around. hard miles on him. Yeah, Manning's still um, broadcasting. He's broadcasting Cleveland Indian games. Oh, is he? Yeah. I, th- I believe he is. Guardians now. Or Guardians. Got to get used to that. Oh, yeah. Not going to get fined for that, am I? No. Okay. I'm just, you know, friendly yeah. pointing it out, as uh, a matter of fact. So, um, yeah, the Reddick trade, Monte Ellis. <laughs> I thought Monte, I thought Monte was going to work out here. I thought, just didn't want to be here. No. Mark, you got to understand, Milwaukee right now, when people get traded to Miami, like when Serge Ibaka got traded to Milwaukee, he was like, yeah, I'm going to the Bucks. I'm going to the Champs. This is going to be great. There was a long period where Milwaukee was the NBA Siberia. Of course. Of it was course. cold. They had bad facilities. The team sucked. Mm-hmm. It was just a bad situation for a long time. Sure. Yeah, nobody wanted to be here. Ten years ago? Are you kidding? No. And and then, you know, three or four years ago when, you know, Anthony Davis had the Bucks on his list of teams he'd wanted to go to, that would have never happened for a player of that caliber 15 years ago. Well, you remember when Greg Monroe first chose Milwaukee over, I think mm-hmm. he got offers from both the Knicks and the Lakers, and he chose Milwaukee. It was like, that was a watershed day. Yeah. It's like, he chose what? He chose us? What? He can't, he's coming here? How can that be? <laughs> no, that was, a, that was a case he should have chosen the Knicks. Well, maybe, but yeah. he came back. Still. No, for, I mean, for, for the Bucks' th- sake. Yeah, I know. Well, for th- but for 30 years. I mean, this was the last place anybody wanted. Look at Todd Day. I mean, mm-hmm. that famous video that Kevin Hunt held until Todd Day finally retired. That you know, when he was drafted by Milwaukee. He's like Milwaukee when he thought the cameras were off. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee, damn. Yep, that was '93. This is when the Bucks were. This is that was Mike Dunleavy's first year. That was his first pick. And then, but what did they do? They and I was there. They used to have draft night parties at the Bradley Center. And mm-hmm. then when they drafted Stephon Marbury, everybody went just nuts. Oh, yeah. And then they trade another one of those draft day trades. That's how they got Ray Allen in the first place. And George Carl, not George Carl, um, Chris Ford, who was the coach at the time, mm-hmm. and Mike Dunleavy, who'd moved into the general manager's post, they got booed mercilessly. Absolutely. It turned out pretty well for the Bucks until years later when George gave him away. Okay, you know, we talked about the fans cheering for Gary Payton. Yeah, when the, when the trade was announced that night, uh, when the Bucks had the public draft, they, have they done one since then? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so well, this it was, was like when it, it was like when Ted Thompson got booed for drafting Justin Harrell. It's you know let's let's not put our general manager in that position anymore. Yeah, no, so ninety six, yeah, ninety six. 
So when they come out there and announce that, well, we've made a move, we're trading Stefan Marbury, you know, Starberry from Georgia Tech, everybody mm-hmm. loved him, for Ray Allen with, the, with Minnesota, and fans were booing. They hated that move because hey, they wanted Starberry here. Turned out that the Bucks knew what they were doing. They, well, they did. At the time. At the time. The seven years later, eh, not as much. Yeah. Uh, J.R. Radcliffe from the Journal Sentinel is going to join us coming up straight ahead. Keep your texts coming. Love to get your thoughts on my assessment of the John Hadle trade because the Packers, they were already shooting themselves in the foot back in the, ni- the mid-1970s. And this just maybe accelerated it bad draft a little picks. bit. Yeah, the, just a bad run. Um, you know, they 80, turned it around since. It's been okay since. It's been okay since at 92. Yeah, you know, give yeah. a couple of Hall of Fame quarterbacks in. Yeah, you know, last 30 years have been okay. We'll revisit this somewhere down the road here. But we did now, what? We'll revisit this before we get out of here at 6 oh, o'clock. Oh, without a doubt. Keep your checks right. coming. 414-799-1973. It's the Drew and KB Show. Doug Russell and Chuck Freeman. And J.R. Radcliffe in the Journal Sentinel coming up straight ahead. Stay with us. I used to love a man, leave him. Oh, I'd brag about my freedom, how no one could tie me down. Then I met you. Now my heart beats true. I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Drew KB show without Drew or KB. They're at Sunburn Bowl 3. Is there any sun out here? No, we no. haven't seen the sun shine in a couple of days. It was warm the last couple of days, though. Well, it was 47 when I woke up the other morning. I was like, man, 31 this morning. I guess we got some snow a little bit on the way. Yeah, that's all right. Doug Russell, Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman in for Drew and KB all this week. They'll be back on Monday in their regular time slot. All right, so we've been talking about the worst trades in Wisconsin sports history. And anytime you, like, kind of assemble a list gets me to thinking you know who's the, the my favorite guy at assembling lists is it's our guy jr radcliffe from the milwaukee journal sentinel he puts together some fun fun lists so i, I wanted to rope jr into this because he's also got a really good sense of history uh as well and jr by the way welcome to the radio proceedings i maintain that the ray allen trade was the worst trade in wisconsin sports history and i feel like i can back it up what do you got Laura, where'd he go rad we lost him. Okay, oh. we'll try. We'll try back. Bad cell area. Yeah. So, do you want to? Do you want to go ahead? Give him a call. Yeah, I'll give him a call. Give him a call, and I'll take some air time okay. here. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about more about that with the worst trades in Wisconsin sports history. Um, you know, we're talking about the the glove trade uh, with Ray Allen uh, being one of the worst, and certainly it was. It turned out to be at the time. I didn't think so, but uh, all in all, one of the worst. Uh, we're continuing to take your texts on the talk and text line on the worst Packer trades, Bucks trades, um, Packer trades, Brewer trades, <laughs> Marquette signings, Marquette hires, Badger hires, anything you want to get into. We can do that here um, right, on the talk and text line. While you get JR back, here we go. Hi, Hi JR. Sorry about that. I don't hey, know what guys. happened, but welcome to the radio proceedings, part two. <laughs> I figured Chuck Freeman saw that I was on the call. He was like, we're not going to deal with this guy. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm the one who suggested you. <laughs> no, no. All right. So the thesis of all of this was my uh, maintaining, and I will continue to maintain until my last dying breath, because I said it that night, and 19 years it has not swayed or moved me at all. The Ray Allen trade, the worst trade in Wisconsin sports history. 
Okay. And I think that's a very, that, that's a pretty good thesis, I think. Uh, there are a couple other possibilities. I think the thing that, for me, that makes that trade so bad is sort of the, I guess some of it we won't ever really know, but the, 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 it seemed like that was a driven specifically by one person, by George Carl. He wasn't seeing eye to eye for whatever reason with Ray Allen. He wanted to get Gary Payton in because Gary Payton was his guy. So it was, there was, I won't call that an ulterior motive, but like maybe that was the wrong reason to be pursuing sort of a new era of Bucks basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Gary Payton got here and, you know, he had more years than he did games played with the Bucks. He's like, I'm out of here. And, and that was, uh, <laughs> you know, very quickly revealing itself to be the disaster that it was. And like you said, I think at the moment people felt that way too. Maybe not to the same degree that they do now, but in the moment it was like, why, why would they, why would they make room for the aging veteran guy for Ray Allen, who's, you know, kind of at his peak. And as we found out later, wasn't even at his peak. He was, you know, he, he got much better even in Seattle and ended up having a hall of fame career. And who knows how many of those years are with the Milwaukee Bucks. If, if that trade doesn't get made, but yeah, I, I do think, I do think that's number one. You might get an argument out of that John Haddle trade, the Green Hale, Bay Packers Hale, trade Hale. for the Hadle, Hadle. Oh, did I say Hadle again? Uh, the, uh, the quarterback in 19, uh, was that 1974, I think, but yeah. that, that's the only one that rises to that level for me. Okay. Was there another Bucks trade that uh, you looked at and scratched your head? No, I don't think so. So the one, the one that I would bring up, um, we talked about this on the, on our journal Sentinel Bucks podcast, a couple episodes ago, they traded Quinn Buckner for Dave Cowens. Um, Quinn oh, Buckner was you're right. Is still the all-time steals leader in Bucks history. He was he had a really good, you know, first few years. He started right out of the gate. He was on that undefeated Indiana team. Good young player. Mm-hmm. But Don Nelson really had played with Dave Cowens, kind of a similar sort of similar vibe with the with the Carl Payton relationship. Dave Cowens hadn't played for two years. He was retired. He was done. You know, he's a Hall of Fame player today, but he was out. And they, they're like, we want Dave Collins back. Celtics still had his rights. They agreed to a trade. Quinn Buckner went the other way. And uh, Dave Collins played one unremarkable year. Quinn Buckner didn't tear it up. It wasn't like a Ray Allen situation. But he was solid. And you probably, if you wanted to trade him, could have gotten a whole lot more than just this, this guy who was like so past his prime that he'd been retired for two years. So, um, so that one maybe comes close. But uh, there's nothing in Bucks history. There's nothing like the Ray Allen trade. Yeah, Quinn um... – Brought defense and brought a toughness to the team. You know, he played for Bobby Knight in Indiana, and he brought that mm-hmm. uh, at the point guard spot. You know, a trade on the other end that was fabulous for the Bucks uh, around the same era was when they traded Kent Benson, just a complete bust, the overall number one pick for um, Bob Lanier. Yeah, that, that does work out. Bob Lanier obviously will be remembered for his time before the Bucks, but uh, hey, his number hangs on the rafters. It's not for nothing. Yeah, he was, he was pretty good. And and I think I'm trying to remember. Did they get? Did they get the pick? The the first overall pick was that the trade that Swen Nader was involved in? Like they, they the Bucks managed to get Marcus Johnson. Uh, I want to say mm, I, I'm confused. 1976. Swen was one of the best yeah. rebounders in the league. Right, right. So they ended up getting, I think that's the Marcus Johnson pick, but they maybe could have had Marcus Johnson anyway mm-hmm. since they had the Kent Benson. They had the first overall pick because, uh, yeah, I believe that's the first and third pick overall. So Marcus Johnson, of course, that worked out great. Uh, Kent Benson, not so much. How about so that? Much. 1977, yeah. they had th- the Bucks had three number one picks. Yeah, no kidding. First uh, round picks. Our endowment is the first person to bring up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I'm glad somebody did on the talk and text line. Again, 414 799 uh, one ninety-seven three. So here's my assessment of the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trade. And I'd like to get your thoughts on it as well, Jr. 
Kareem it wanted happen no matter what. <laughs> Kareem wanted out. He gave the Bucks a year to work out a trade because he didn't want to be part of a rebuilding program after three MVPs, after going to the NBA Finals twice and winning a ring. He just it, it wasn't anything personal about Milwaukee, although he did welcome going to Los Angeles. He would have welcomed New York as well. He just didn't want to be part of a rebuilding. And the Bucks got a couple of guys, you mentioned numbers hanging from the rafters. In that trade back, they got a couple of guys whose numbers are hanging from the rafters. I think Milwaukee did the best that they could under the circumstances with a guy who just had no interest in being here anymore. Yeah, I think if you want to look at it from a pure, like, on-paper perception, then, yeah, that's a terrible trade because they traded away one of the greatest players in basketball history who still absolutely had some of those years ahead of him, you know, and and sort of reshaped his legacy. I I think it'd be nice if we thought of Kareem as a buck, you know, for for most of his career, and obviously that's not the case today. But like you said, there was nothing they could have done. Their backs were against the wall, and and honestly, I think in the moment from from what I know about it, I wasn't around then, but – it seems like Abdul Jabbar gave them gave them everything that he could with, without being like I'm going to stay. He said I'm I'm going. You guys can you know trade me. I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but like let's work it out. Let's make it work. And like you said, I mean they they go into a complete cavern on most circumstances when they're trading a player like that. And they got guys who are who are ultimately pretty important for the organization. Now you still it's like it's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers situation. No matter how you look at it, you're not going to get compensated for a Hall of Fame superstar. It just does not come back in a trade. Um, you know, there, there might be some examples out there that I'm not thinking of, but likelihood is that's going to ruin you. And, and I guess you could argue it did because the Bucks didn't go back to the, you know, to the NBA finals for 50 years. So I guess you could make that claim, but yeah, they were I never going to get fair market value, but no. I think that they did the best yeah. they could. But hold on here. The, uh, when they traded him at 75, they, they, they were below 500. The arena was yeah. half full. I'm with the, I, my first Bucks game was Jabbar's last game as a buck. And they played the Bulls, and there was nobody at the game, and the Bucks were just terrible, and and they were going. It was in a clear rebuild. The year before, they had gone to the NBA Finals, um, but the Bucks, you know, that trade it kind of set them off on a nice little run. I mean, they were probably a few possessions away from going to the NBA Finals or mm-hmm. the Conference Finals at a few. Of the, I mean, they had a great run. Then in the Western Conference, they had a little bit of a run, and then when they went to the East, obviously we all know that Philadelphia and, and Boston got in their way, but. You know, they had a nice 10-year run after the Jabbar was traded. And they still got Brian Witters yeah. and Junior Bridgman out of it. Yeah, two Hall of Famers. Bucks Hall of Famers, or Jersey retired guys, yeah. Yeah, I think if you look at it that way, at least how I think history remembers it, is that the, the whole problem was Kareem wanting out. Like, it was not so much the trade, it was the the fact that the superstar player didn't want to be in Milwaukee. And he, did, yeah, he did, not, not only that he didn't want to rebuild, but he didn't want to be in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, we just got a text from Omar, the tent maker, and uh, he was said, uh, and I wasn't around for that trade. I mean, Chuck might remember mm-hmm. the time more than I would, obviously, if your first Bucks game was his last. Um, we were always told that Kareem wanted to go to a city with a Muslim community. He just offered it up for a point of view. But religion is what I was told was a big reason for Kareem wanting out of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. whether that's the case yep. or not. And, and maybe that played a part of it. Like you said, he didn't want to be here. Ray did want to be here. Yeah. That's yeah. he tr- thought he was going to New York. He thought he was going to be a Nick. And that's and, where he's uh, from, yeah. He didn't end up working out. Yep, yep. He wanted New York or LA. Pretty simple stuff. And you know, when you can't you can't really blame him like when he explained it, like it for a young guy like him, it made perfect sense. It made sense. And he went on to the Lakers and he played till he was I mean, he was still producing at forty. Still the all time leading scorer. LeBron's gonna yeah. eclipse him in a year or so, but uh yeah. he's still the all time leading scorer in NBA history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was putting up big numbers, and then I think the, I think um, 
he had a game he, in 89 when he was at the end of his career. It was like his first game where he had scored in single digits uh, for geez, thousands of games. And he was held under single digits by Randy Brewer, of all people. Who was the first? <laughs> was the first player to hold Kareem in the single digits? Randy Brewer. Wild. Yeah. Bucks legend. Love it. Um, yeah, I guess uh, I, I, it would have been. I, I would have loved to have been there to see if if Milwaukee really understood what they had with Luel Cinder with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because you know basketball in Milwaukee was still sort of a fledgling concept. The NBA in general was still a fledgling concept, and I know they filled that arena, and I know there were people who were really excited, but there's no way, it just wasn't on par with what we experienced in 2021 Mm -hmm. in the city and around the arena and stuff, and it's a shame that, you know, like a truly all-time transcendent talent was, you know, Milwaukee for, you know, for six years, and and it's hard to really gauge if, if he got his due here. But, uh, you know, that's just the circumstances of the timing. I will say this, though. The, the, the playoffs that the Bucks were in the 70s, late 70s, and I, I was too young to go to the ones in the early 70s, but post-Kareem, uh, late 70s, mid-80s, the Milwaukee Arena was a place to be. That place was deafening for a playoff game. Mm-hmm. Just deafening. Oh, Cram 11,000 people into that yes. barn. And it yeah, was, it was. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that's where I grew up, going to Bucks games as well. Uh, how frustrated, JR, do you get when people still bring up the Dirk Nowitzki tractor-trailer folly? Uh, <laughs> because I'm tired of explaining this to people. I feel like yeah, I've done it a million times. Yeah, I, I don't I don't even, yeah. I. It's, it, it's the complaints are from people who just don't understand how the process works, and, and it still kind of works the same way today, so it's not hard to figure out. You know, the, how many guys are now getting drafted every year that aren't ha- have, are not even remotely going to set foot in the city or for the team that's drafted them? It's got to be like most of the second round, or, or at least mm-hmm. like you know, ten guys in the first round. That's just the it's just the way the system is set up. It's an I, I wish they changed the system. It's annoying. Dirk Nowitzki was never in any scenario in any world going to be a Milwaukee Buck. It was not their scouting that uh, that had him get drafted when he did. So. Uh, so yes, that was, it is a little frustrating. <laughs> it's kind of like people getting upset because a trade was made. Here's a, here's a one example for the Packers when they traded Matt Hasselbeck to the Seahawks. They got a pick that pick became Steve Hutchinson. Who's a hall of fame offensive lineman. It'd be like getting mad at the Packers because it could have had Steve Hutchinson, mm-hmm. you know, like there's it just, it's the same thing. Well, I guarantee you on draft night when they made that move, there was nobody saying, Oh man, really? They're trading Dirk. Dav-. Nobody knew who Dirk Davitsky was. No. Don Nelson did. No, I'm sure he was highly regarded, but it's the same thing with Giannis. Yeah. It's a little bit of a lottery ticket when you're talking about an overseas talent like that. Dirk was probably a little more highly regarded, more polished than than Giannis, but still, like, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a move that is only seen because of the fallout in retrospect. And you know, 14 teams still passed on Giannis. Like 23 teams passed on Aaron Rodgers. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it continues to baffle me. The 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 draft where Giannis is taken, the, the names in front of him are. Truly a delight. There's a couple pretty good players in there, but for the most part, it's like <laughs> it's guys that people don't even know right now. Yeah, so, I mean, so. but that happens. I, again, when they're drafting these kids, who knows? Uh, football too, exactly. same thing. You look, you go the amateur baseball draft. You can look at the same thing, and you look at some of these guys. And the Brewers could have had Barry Bonds if they wanted. Not that Barry would have stayed here, but in 1985, they could have drafted Barry Bonds, and they drafted B.J. Surhoff with the overall number one pick. Go figure. And Surhoff was a decent player for yeah. a long time. Sure. Played a long time in Major League Baseball, a lot of those years with the Orioles, but Barry Bonds turned into be Barry Bonds. Yep, and you know probably you know caused uh, you know Tom Troublehorn, you know probably a little would have probably would have been a pain in the ass to Troublehorn or anybody else who was managing at the time. 
ask uh, Jim Leland. Uh, well, yeah, he was, but you know, ask Paul Wagner who the worst teammate that he ever had was. Yeah, I mean, he will immediately tell you. With glee that it was Barry Bonds. Yeah. J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Kind enough to spend a few minutes with us here on the Drew and KB show without Drew or KB. J.R., always good catching up with you. Uh, hopefully we'll, I- I'd say, catch you at a ballpark sometime soon. But uh, we're not don't know if like that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I, only only faith is telling me that there will be baseball in the early part of the uh, 2022 MLB season. But uh, I still believe it. I still think the season starts, if not on time, just maybe two weeks late. I'm still holding on to hope for that. But right now, that's that's faith and not uh, you know not not facts. So we'll see. Definitely. Thanks, Jr. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Brad. All right, there he goes, Jr. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, joining us. Yeah, the uh, baseball players and owners. Oh, they meant today. And probably no news. I'm no. not even following it. Oh, yeah, they're just wasting each other's time. Yeah. It's if you don't have first of all, nobody's operating with any kind of urgency whatsoever. None. Secondly, all they're doing is lobbing one silly proposal at the other. And it's here's our proposal. All right, reject. Here's our proposal. Reject and wash rinse repeat. That's what they've been doing for the last well, they first started to talk. They, the lockout started on December 6th. It was radio silence between the two sides for six weeks. And now they're just, every couple of weeks, just lobbing just silliness at each other. Well, it's like what Tom Hodgecourt said. The players don't really want to be in spring training anyway, you know, because they're not getting paid for those six weeks. So they could care less, really. Yeah. Now, once that season well, comes I, and they're missing paychecks, then you're talking. I did an event at uh, Potawatomi. With Brandon Woodruff, uh, the night the Packers lost in the playoffs that night against San Francisco. And it was a room full of about 500 people. And I asked him, how much spring training do you really need? Because six weeks seems like a lot. A month worth of games, that seems like a lot. And Brandon Woodruff surprised me when he said, no, no, no. I mean, at least as far as the pitchers and catchers, you know, we need all those. We need all six weeks of those. I'm like, Really? I mean, yeah. I guess he'd know better than I would, Well, but it just seems like it's so long and so excessive. Well, when pitchers and catchers report early and then the rest of the team, but most of the time when the pitchers or catchers are reporting, everybody's reporting anyway, Every, you know, because you don't want to be that guy yeah. who's strolling in late when everybody else is coming in. Because, you know, it used to be, well, a couple of guys reported early. Now the whole team reports early. Yeah, and they all work out during the offseason anyway. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like you uh, have guys that are showing up because they were working at a tire store and they're out of shape when they get to spring training. Sure. That doesn't happen anymore. It's, 19, it's not 1963. No, you just got to take hitting and pitching and be able to you know, get back into that groove and all that. It's like, you know, hey, when golf season's starting here in a couple more weeks, uh, well, two months or so, um, you know, first couple of times out there, a little rough. All right, two things that should never mix, ever. We'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Doug Russell. He's Chuck Freeman. We're in for Drew and KB. Stay with us. Some people clap on the one and three. Some people clap on the two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm. And that's all right. Welcome back in. Drew and KB without Drew or KB. I'm Doug Russell. He's Chuck Freeman. Do you clap on the one and three or the two and the four? You don't jump in at all because you have no rhythm. That's okay. Who is this? Brothers Osborne. 
Okay. I'm like Scott, time and go bands. I'm like Peace Out Country music right here? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry, I don't follow today's what, country. What tipped it off? Well, I don't know. You know, I heard a country song the other day by um, uh, the woman, Miranda Lambert, and I'm like, that's a country song? Talking about... Uh, it depends on what song it was. Yeah, I forgot what song it was. She was doing a duet with somebody. And I'm like, this oh, song. Oh, the one with El King? It might have been it, yeah. Yeah, that's country-ish. Yeah, really? Yeah, it's in rotation over on FM 106. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, but that's today's country. That's yeah. uh, that's what it is. This is, you know, I would say this fits the genre pretty well. Yeah, you're probably right, but I just, you know, them, you know. Um, you know that's that's today's country. Uh, I will say this: uh, the Big Ten race is amazing. It's just you got the Big teams. Ten is drunk this year. I well, you love got it. You got four teams right now um, with four losses. Technically, Purdue is in first place, okay? Because you know they're half a game up on people. But Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State all have four losses, and then. You have Rutgers with five losses who are beating everybody. Rutgers is playing amazing basketball. They beat Illinois last night, and they beat Michigan State. They beat the Badgers a week ago or so. And listen, they're a team that you cannot sleep on because, as everybody who follows sports knows, if you get hot at the right time, man, you can just punch your your ticket to wherever you want to go. But they've been good all year long. They beat Michigan State. They crushed Michigan State. Yeah, they've they gotten beat, hot recently, but yes, but no, they, they have been good all year. They beat Purdue before Christmas, right? Uh, on the last second shot, they've um, they beat Ohio State recently in Wisconsin, and uh, beat Illinois last night. Okay, you know at the rack, you know you go there and you know oof, uh, that's been a tough place for teams to to play. Um, and now, but I mean, the Big Ten race with Illinois losing. Now, okay, and I got Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin, Ohio State virtually all tied for first place with the four losses. If you look just at the loss column, man, Wisconsin got a terrific win. Now, you look at the road victories for them at Purdue, at Michigan State, at Indiana. Man, those are three places you don't expect when you look at the calendar that you're going to win in all three of those spots. And Indiana was pretty hostile because of the whole Brad Davison situation yep. and, you know, his fiance, uh, Tyra Buss, an assistant like she- coach at Milwaukee, but. Was she look like Tyra is trash talking to the fans a little bit? Was she a little bit? She, I don't think she was trash talking, but I think she was like, "Hey, I just I'm supporting Brad. Don't well, mind, was, don't was, mind me wearing this Badger shirt." She was in the motioning something, and I'm like, huh. "She's their all time leading scorer yeah. in, in women's basketball history at Indiana, and she was wearing a Badgers shirt yeah, to support so to support Brad. So good for him. Uh, the Badgers just need to shoot the basketball more consistently and." You know, at the three-point line the other night against Indiana, they were just 4 of 16, and that's not going to get her done. And you just have to be—they have to be able to spread the ball out a little bit more. Tyler Wall's been hurt, so his production has gone down a little bit because Tyler Wall's been so good for them really all year long. Chucky Hepburn doesn't get the point totals that some of these other guys get, but he's been such a great defender as a true freshman at point guard. Johnny Davis is Johnny Davis. Uh, He's had some games where he struggled, but he's also had a bunch of road 30-plus point scoring games this year in big situations, including the other night against Indiana as well. Didn't turn the ball over Chucky Hepburn uh, at all at Indiana. Did not turn the ball over one time. And the rest of the team did. This is a team that turns the ball over about eight times per game. Mm -hmm. They turned the ball over 13 times against the Hoosiers. Not Wisconsin basketball, but also not, to your point, and you're right, no Chucky Hepburn turnovers well, either in 38 minutes on the floor. Here's the thing about them being the worst shooting three-point team in the league. Okay, They're taking good looks. 
coaching can't do anything there. They're taking good shots. They're not going down. You can get mad and stomp and say, man, you got to make that. Okay, but if a 25-footer is not going in, what are you going to do? You just, you have, you, the one thing you can coach and you can bring every night is your defense. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing you can bring every night. Now, I thought against Michigan State, they got away with uh, being a little lax on the perimeter once in a while. But, uh, you know, at the end of that game against Indiana, they clamped down and they were good. And they, you know, in a close game, when Wisconsin's in a close game, you might as well give it to the Badgers because they make all the plays when it counts. My first caller on the postgame show on Saturday when they lost against Rutgers, we wanted to put this one on Greg Gard and the coaching staff. Uh, no, they didn't miss all of those shots. Mm-hmm. It was, I think Brad was one of nine from the field, from the three-point line. Good shots. He's not making them. Yeah, well, some of them were a little bit rushed. And we talked to uh, Dean Oliver, assistant coach, after the game, and I asked him about some of his shot selections. Like, yeah, most of them were good. A couple of them he might like to have back. But you're right. To, to your point, I think most of those shots, the vast mm-hmm. majority of them, you know, he squared up. He just, they just didn't fall. Most yeah, of them were off the back well, of the rim. He, I mean, Brad, the other night, you know, he took one shot that he shouldn't have taken, um, and you know, had a little conversation with uh, Coach Guard on the sidelines. I saw. Um, but hey, you know what? Anytime Brad is going to shoot, I, I told Matt LaPay this morning when I talked to him on WIBA. So Matt, anyway, we get Brad back for a sixth year. <laughs> we'll explore that coming up. At a seventh. Can we just make a permanent badger? Here's here's my prediction. Take this for what it's worth as we go to the top of the hour. At some point in the future, down the road, mm-hmm. Brad Davison, in my opinion, and I don't make predictions, I think he's going to be the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Oh, you're going that far. Well, he's going to be a coach. Mull that over as mm. we go to the top of the hour. Coming back after the uh, top of the hour update. Two things that should just never mix, and yet here we go again. Stay with us. It's the Drew and KB Show without Drew or KB. I'm Doug. He's Chuck. Drew and KB show. Drew and KB in Mexico for one more day tomorrow. They're back in their normal time slot on Monday from 3 until 6. I'm Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman uh, on the other side of the table joining you all week long. There's been a pack of Packers football cards that have been in the studio now for at least two weeks. In plastic wrap, not your typical pro football Wrap. No. This is uh, visible wrap. Yeah. So you've got James Lofton on one side. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then Lynn Dickey on the other. Nobody's opened these yet. Okay. So those cards look like 84, 83, maybe, 1983, 84. Yeah, in that era. Look like they're in pretty good shape. Let's open them up. Okay. <laughs> Tired of looking at it. All right. Is there gum in there? No, there's no gum. All right. Here, I'm going to read them off. All right. All right. Look at the back of the card. See what year. Uh, 1980. 1980. 1980. So they came out in 81. Yep. Okay, so James Lofton, all pro card. Yeah. And then the Packers, 1980 team leaders. Let's see. Interceptions, Johnny Gray had five. Quarterback sacks, Mike Butler had 10. Uh, receiving, James Lofton, 1,226 yards. Rushing, Eddie Lee Ivory, 831 yards. Their rushing leader. Eddie Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Super action card, James Lofton. Okay. Okay. Uh, Ezra Johnson. 
got after the quarterback. Okay. Once uh, I think he got reprimanded because he ate, was eating a hot dog on the sidelines of a preseason game. <laughs> I think that was Ezra. Uh, Adobe Maxwell's business card is in here, so that's probably where they came from. All right. All right, we got that. Uh, David Whitehurst, backup okay. quarterback, old number 17. Yeah, he played when Lynn Dickey was hurt. Which was early and often. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Ellis. Gary Ellis. Gary Ellis. Running back. Number 31. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, George Cumbie. Johnny Gray. Johnny Gray. Mike Butler. Paul Kaufman. Tight end. Real good player. Yeah, he was a Pro Bowl player who had uh, shoulder pads that didn't fit. Yeah, I think he's living in Kansas City these days. Yeah. Uh, Audra Thompson. Remember him? Wide receiver. He was like the like the number three or number four wide receiver. Yeah. Audra Thompson, rookie year, 1975. And that's who they were drafting back then. So don't worry about Audra? John. Yeah. Don't 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 worry about John Hadle. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Lee Ivory, okay, the guy who tore his knee up. I want to say back to back years on opening day. Yeah, he had a lot of injuries. Jan Stenerud. Oh yeah, you know when they signed Jan Stenerud, uh, he was already going to be in the Hall of Fame from his kicking days. They were paying him five thousand dollars a game. What I know, <laughs> that was the contract. Five thousand dollars a game. Five grand a game. Yeah. Young Stenard's not in the Hall of Fame, is he? I think he is. Is he? He's yeah, look it up if you want. Yeah, right. I'll look it up. And then Lindicky. All right. So that's the that's the car. I was tired of looking at him. I just wanted to crack him open. Well, they, you just, got... they were taunting me. You know, Jan Stenerud, yeah, he was uh Is he in the Hall of Fame? He's from overseas, I remember that. He's um, from Norway, I think. Went to Montana State, Norway, yes. Um This is riveting. I can't find the Hall of Fame part. Let me see here. I'm looking at his bio. Well, you go to Wikipedia. Yeah, but I'm looking at his bio. Jan Stenerud is yep, yes, he is in the Pro Football Hall. Nineteen ninety-one. That's what that I was. <laughs> that was riveting. Nineteen ninety-one. As we're both going to the Googles to look it up. Yep, that's funny. Well, I thought so. I shouldn't have second guessed myself. I thought I, I thought he I was. wasn't sure. I know yeah. that there aren't very many kickers, and there's yeah. Ray Guy's the only punter but who's in the Hall of Fame. They were paying him five thousand. Uh, that's amazing. I think to finish out a year, and then he came back the next year. But he was, you know, he kicked the game-winning field goal for the Packers in '83, um, in one of the greatest Monday night games ever. The Packers won over Washington, forty-eight, forty-seven. Mark Murphy. The Packer president was playing linebacker for the Redskins that day. I remember that. I do. All right. So there's a couple of things that should never mix. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit this week Mm -hmm. about sports and politics as it pertains to now Michelle Tafoya, who is, I mean, sports is so far in her her rearview mirror right now. And there was some speculation that she decided that she was going to leave the Sunday Night Football broadcast because... She wanted to spend more time with her family, or she wanted to do this, or maybe it was something that she said on The View. Well, she's jumped in now with both feet into the political arena, mm-hmm. and she's saying things that people are, are now clapping back on a little bit. You know, she had some thoughts on critical race theory. She had some thoughts on why Colin Kaepernick isn't in the NFL. Basically, her thesis is that if Colin Kaepernick really wanted to be in the NFL, he could have been in the NFL but he chose to make this a political issue and mm-hmm. and chose, you know, the path that he took. Of course, in today's uh, society, you know, um, we're going to cancel automatically if someone says something like that. See, but here's the thing. Both sides are guilty of cancel culture. One side 
decries it, but they also do it. Mm-hmm. And the other side then decries it, but they do it too. So whether it's so, it's just something that people just disagree with. And here's my thought on Not really the politics. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't like getting into politics because, yeah. first of all, nobody cares about my politics. Nobody cares yeah. what I have. To, nobody cares who I vote for. Nobody cares. Not the candidates do because I keep mm-hmm. getting these dumb text messages. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear me pontificate about anything political. And I get that. And that's why I don't do it on Twitter. That's why I don't do it on the air. I've used to engage in it a little bit more. But my views on some things have evolved over the years. Some would say devolved over the years. But I'm a constant contradiction. Um, our old mutual co-host, Mike Wickett, used to call my politics a la carte because there's some things that I'm very conservative about. There's some mm-hmm. things I'm very liberal about, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle. I voted for both. I voted for Republicans. I voted for Democrats. And I voted for independents. So I'm... I'm the swing voter that every candidate needs, but Michelle Tafoya has now jumped into the political arena with both feet, and now sports is in the rearview mirror for her, and I think that that's kind of a tricky place for any sports person to be, is to jump into that political arena. What I hope for Michelle... Because you're pissing off half the country. What I hope for Michelle Tafoya is this, is, okay, yeah, she's she's a Republican, okay? She is, yes. That, uh, for Michelle... um, whether she was a Republican or Democrat, that it's not going to hurt her ability to get back into the sports media if she wants to get back in someday. I think it has. I think she's done. I think she's done forever in sports. And that sucks. She's very good. She was very, very good. Well, I would say the same thing about Keith Olbermann. He jumped into the political arena on the other side, Mm -hmm. and now I can't look at uh, Keith Olbermann as someone who is a sports person because he's been so vocal about politics. So we're going to cancel Michelle Tafoya because she's going to support a Republican candidate. We can't have Michelle Tafoya. It's not cancel, Chuck. It's not. We're not canceling anybody. She's not going to get hired. She's not going to get hired. No, that's because canceling to me. It's not canceling. It's she's made a choice. Just like she was talking about Colin Kaepernick making a choice, she's made a choice. And that's it's, it's great for her to follow her heart, and and to speak out on issues that she cares deeply mm-hmm. about. I'm fine with that. But once you enter the political arena, if you try to get back into sports, you're just going to piss off half of your audience. And any any broadcaster, any network, any executive knows that going in. Well, and I think that's unfair. I think if you if she comes out and what she's you know what she's doing here is you know supporting the or doing work for the Republican candidate in Minnesota, the gubernatorial candidate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh uh, and if she wanted to go back in the sports, well, I, you know, we should be able to separate. Well, it's, Michelle wants to get back in sports. She's reporting on sports, right? And you know, but nobody's going to want to touch her. But well, the, there's going to be a, a faction of the audience who can't get past the fact that they now view her differently. Mm-hmm. Just I, again, it's the same thing on the other side with Keith, Keith Olbermann. If I see Keith Olbermann, you automatically judge him by what comes out of his mouth, no matter whether it's. Uh, a sports take or anything else because you know what viewpoint he comes from. Do you that, judge uh, actors and actresses because most of these actors... No, because I think that's entirely different. I think it's They're still in, performing. They're still performing, but they're not performing as themselves. They're performing as the character that, they're, that they've scripted to, to, to play. Okay. So I think it's an, an entirely different uh, realm. But, but the fact of the matter is most entertainers lean left. That, mm-hmm. That's... Just fact of the matter. There's a few out there. Kirstie Alley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loved her on Cheers. Yeah. There's a few. Uh, Kelsey Grammer is a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a Republican politician. 
uh, governor of California for six or seven years. So, I mean, they, they, they do exist. They are out there. They're just – they are in the minority. There's no question about And I that. think if Michelle – you know, I mean, this is the road she's going down, um, and maybe maybe she doesn't want to get back into sports. Maybe she realizes yeah, that. Maybe, but you again, know? I think that she's made her choice, and I don't think you're going to find anybody who didn't think that she was great at what she did mm-hmm. on Sunday Night Football. She's a tremendous sideline reporter and was accredited to that broadcast for a long time. But like she was talking about with Colin Kaepernick, he chose his path. Michelle's now chosen her path, just like I would say. And I keep going back to Keith Olbermann because he's really the only one that I can think of. And if there's somebody else that I'm missing, please let me know on the uh, PellaWI.com talk and text line 414-799-1973. I just want to be fair to both sides Mm -hmm. because, again, I come from this from the dead center. And when I say dead center, I mean, trust me, I am in the dead center. Hard to believe that Rush Limbaugh was on a NFL Pre-game show was that? With yeah, the not for long because... I know. Well, yes. Yeah, for yes. the same reason. Yeah, but I mean... But he was still active doing... That would never happen today. No, it wouldn't. But I mean... Times have changed Because, oh yeah, I mean, because we're, as I mentioned yesterday, we're more divided more than ever. But I mean, you would never see a political talk show host ever um, on a network sports panel. Not at all. No. And I'm not saying that she doesn't have something to say. Yeah. I'm not saying that Keith Olbermann doesn't have something to say. But... When you do make sports and politics, man, it's it's buyer beware. Well, that's in today's climate, unfortunately. I, I, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could divide, separate the two, but that's the, that's the way we. What are. if it were somebody that came from a, a different point of view? Would it would it matter to you at all? From what your worldview is, um, either way, I shouldn't. Let's not discriminate because of their politics. Okay. And why, you know, why? But that's the world that we live in right now because everything we're, everything is so political. We don't want to talk about discriminating, but we're going to discriminate politics. That's well, we're going to do it one way, but not the other. It's it's people uh, people are choosing to go in the direction that they want to that they want to go in, and mm-hmm. everybody is so hyper political right now. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm alone. I'm, I'm alone on my own little island in the center. Well, I think Michelle Tafoya financially is probably fine. Oh, she's fine. Absolutely. And she made a good living because she she's, earned she earned that living on Sunday Night Football. Absolutely. She was great. 50, she's got to be mid-50s, 55, 56 years old. Yeah. She's been broadcasting forever at the top of her game. Um, yeah. I was just sad to see that, you know, when she gave a little goodbye, and I'm like, man, she just seems like just a nice person, awesome person, terrific reporter, that, uh, you know, that was the last we've seen of Michelle on the sidelines. Yeah. It, it, it It's... It's a shame for us because we're not going to see her again. And I wish it were to the point where everything wasn't so hyper political. You can't post anything. You know this as well as anybody. I know. You can't post anything online with somebody coming back. I can't say that I'm in the center without somebody on the right calling me a lunatic or somebody on the left calling me a lunatic. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because I honestly, I, I, I look at an issue, I decide what's how I feel about it, and then I turn the page. I feel like we are in this co- – we're a, at a point, okay, we're sports commentators, okay? Mm-hmm. If you comment – if I make an opinion about a broadcaster I don't like, and let's say he's African-American, mm-hmm. someone's going to come after me and say, oh, really? Because well, you don't like him because you know, black? No. You can't make – but you can't make a judgment of that because that's where we are. We are so ultra-sensitive about the race issue and stuff like that. You can't comment on somebody's 
merely on their broadcast ability until somebody comes at you. It's like Cam Newton. I made a comment about Cam Newton. I just I didn't like appreciate what um, you know when he was when he scored the touchdown in his first game back and he made it about himself. People came at me and thought it was and made it a race issue. Never said anything about being a race issue. Oh, Aaron Rodgers did it and you didn't say anything, but Cam Newton says it and all of a sudden you're no, it had nothing to do with that. Uh, let's see, Brad and Sheboygan writes, not a, as big of a name as uh, as others, but Clay Travis jumped from sports to politics as well. And he did. He went, He was doing the morning sports show on Fox Sports Radio. Yep. Can you go? Yeah, you can go from sports to politics, but you just can't go from politics to sports. Right, correct. Yeah. But I think everybody knew what side of the aisle he was coming from because he talked about it on the air. Sure he did, yeah. But, again, then you're limiting your audience. I want everybody to listen to to when I'm on the air. I don't want to piss off anybody. I don't want to piss off Republicans. Mm-hmm. I don't want to piss off Democrats. You, sometimes you wind up pissing off both of them yeah. because, you know, they everybody wants to feel like you're on their team sometimes uh, nowadays in this hyper-political mm-hmm. world that we that we live in right now. But, you know, sometimes you just want to have a goofy show and, and talk some sports and talk about the worst trades in Wisconsin sports history. Well, that's the deal. And, and, and Doug, with that, when you want to be goofy and you want to say a few things, you know, we're doing a, th- uh, a free-form three-hour show, which, you know, we all do. Um, and, in you know, you might say something that might get that might get you in trouble that you say that you don't mean to say, but it might get misconstrued that way. That's my biggest fear in, in the broadcasting world, because there are guys who've gone out there and said some things that they wish they had back, did some stupid things, and... Um, you know, or maybe some guys who did some unintended things that were working broadcasting ever again. Well, let's see. Uh, who's Jimmy Dore? Somebody, somebody, Jimmy Dore is liberal left. Joe Rogan, this is from the 608. Joe Rogan is center left. Both are considered alt-right because of the mainstream media, yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's a term, by the way, I hate. The M- MSM, mainstream It's just the media. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, I don't know who Jimmy Dore is. I'm I don't not, either. Okay. No. Is it spelled D-O-R-E? I don't know. I don't know who that is. Tom Dore, the former Bulls broadcaster in New Head. Okay. Yeah. So it's just some food for thought. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to see Michelle Tafoy. I don't think we're, good, we're ever going to see Michelle Tafoy on the sidelines again. And she was so good at her job. Mm-hmm. But, again, she wanted to do something else, and not everybody's afforded that. Yeah. And if she wanted to do that in her mid-50s, she wanted to change careers and all that, more power to her. Yeah. Yeah. But can't say it's a passion of hers. You, it's well, yeah. Everybody should be able to follow their passion. And sure. if you, if you're passionate about uh, her politics or some another person's politics, and you want to follow that, absolutely. But she came out on the critical race theory, okay? Yeah. And because of that, you know, she's going to lose. Well, anytime some... you step into the political arena, you're you're going to be criticized, no matter what you say. If it's something that people have a, a disagreement with, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's Colin Kaepernick or, or anything else, because sometimes sports and politics do mix, anytime you make that stand, you're going to piss off somebody. She told Tucker Carlson the other night, okay, when she was on this show, she was, here's a quote, it breaks my heart that my kids are being taught that skin color matters. Networks will look at that, and they'll never. Well, the fact that she was on Tucker Carlson's show makes that a political mm-hmm. statement. Yeah. I mean, if she if she would have said that, where you know, I don't know what his audience is. It's it's sizable, whatever it is. It's in the millions. If she would have said it on, you know, with the 
some public speaking engagement, mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have gotten the same amount of, oh, I bet amount you, of run. No, but I mean, with social media, yeah. You could be speaking at a small banquet, I think, of 10 people, and if it gets yeah. out there and you're... It wouldn't have the immediate vitriol, yeah. though. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't think. All right. Just some thoughts on that, because I, I saw that Michelle Tafoya a week ago was still... She was still a sportscaster, and now uh, she is not a sportscaster yeah. anymore. And you know, did you know? Did, were you? Did you know that going into that game when they said they parted ways with her? They said, "Oh, she waved goodbye." I didn't know that was her last game until I, at the end. She had announced that she was leaving mm-hmm. Sunday Night Football, and she was. And I didn't know at the time that she was going to go work on a gubernatorial candidate mm-hmm. candidacy. I don't think that that. I don't think that that had been announced yet. Um, but I mean, it's her prerogative to do it, of course. And as far as but there's going to be, say, I'm careful with this word. There's going to be consequences yeah. to any political stance that anyone takes publicly. Well, unrelated, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth when they started the broadcast. Did you hear Al Michaels say, um, "Well, Chris, you and I sit next together for a final time." Yeah, Al's going over to Amazon. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Yeah, they no. really want what's well, good for him. He wants to keep working 78 on top of his game. Now, Zabe and I will disagree on that because he's not a big Al Michaels guy, but I, I think Michael's still on top of things. He's that comforting voice. Yes. You know, that you're just used to. Mm-hmm. If it's a big game and Al Michaels is, man, that's and, how you know it's a big game when Al know, Michaels is calling it. And NBC wanted to replace, it sounded like, Drew Brees. They wanted him to replace Chris Collinsworth, but Breeze was terrible. He's full of cliches. Not good. Not everybody can do it. No. It's it's a it is a skill. Not everybody can do it. And I guess Aikman, we could see on Amazon. Now these games are gonna be on Amazon. Is that a that's just on an app, right? It's a streaming channel. It's a streaming channel. Yeah. Okay, is that on the cable system or is it just no, you gotta it's, okay. it's a streaming package. It's, so it's not gonna be on the NFL network or anything. You gotta No, there's still NFL rules that if it, you're in one of the home markets of the two teams, you can get it over over the air. But, but if Los on, Angeles and Arizona are playing, I I gotta download the app. Well you have to pay for the app. Yeah. You can download it all you want, but until you have a subscription to the app, you're not gonna see the game. So that's why yeah. they can pay all that much money sure. for it. Yeah, they got a lot of money. Yeah, it's all it's and all it about could, money. It could be Al Michaels and Troy Aikman on that game. Yeah, it could. Yeah, yeah it definitely could. All right, Matt Miller is going to join us coming up straight ahead from onmilwaukee.com. He's Chuck. I'm Doug. We're in for Drew and KB. Got heavy in the last 20 minutes or so. That's all right. Every once in a while. Yeah. It's all right. We're all still friends. We miss 420. <laughs> it's 520 now. Oh, it's 5. Oh, As they say, uh-huh. it's 420 somewhere. Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman, back with you for just uh, about a half an hour left to go in today's show. Drew and KB, they'll be back in their regular slot coming up on Monday. Joining us on the program right now, you can read his, uh, well, covers a lot of things. He's the culture writer for OnMilwaukee.com, but that covers a lot of things. Matt Miller joining us, a regular on the Drew and KB show. Matt, appreciate the time. How you doing tonight? Hi, Matt. I'm doing great. Hi, uh, hi Chuck. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. I am greeting you from frosty, cold Marquette, Michigan. What are you doing way up there? Uh, my my significant other is participating in a sled dog race. Cool. She is she is on veterinarian duty at the sled dog race. So, and I get to 
I get to experience that as well and also drink heavily. Wow, that's not the one that goes through Minnesota, is you it? You won the lottery with her. Not not the one that doesn't go through Minnesota. Okay. I, I, yeah, so it's it's just up here in the UP. Bear Grease, I think um, it was called? Pardon? I think it was called the Bear Grease, the one that went through Minnesota. The I might Bear, Bear Grease. Bear yeah. is a very popular one. Uh, matter of fact, my significant other just gave me a thumbs up of, yes, that is correct. Do I have that right, the Bear Grease? I guess you do. Yeah, Minnesota, Bear, okay. The Bear Grease. They just ran that, I want to say, a month ago. Okay. All right. Matt Miller joining us uh, here. We were actually we spent a good amount of time talking about your dad in our first segment today. Oh, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Ratings were at an all time low. He wraps he wraps <laughs> up his run at the end of next week. I haven't talked to him in a couple of weeks. How's uh, how's he feeling about uh, hanging up the headphones for good? He's feeling great. I actually just grabbed some drinks with him last night over in uh, over at the Bosch in the uh, Hills Corners, and he's he's doing good. He's he's looking. He's now like the kid a uh, week out from Christmas Day. Where I think he's he's really ready to start actually enjoying the retirement and actually you know getting to stay up late on Wednesday nights and and stuff like that. So I, uh, I I'm very excited. I can finally take him to the Newport more often and all my favorite hangs. And <laughs> watch sports with him more often because so your entire I, life he's been doing morning drive, literally from the yeah, day you were born. For my, yeah, for my entire life. Uh, I've always known that my dad is not home between the hours of three in the morning and noon about. So, yeah, it'll be fun. And I it'll be so nice because now he can go to like Bucks games that are on weekday nights. And he would always have to be the buzzkill on Sunday night football or Monday night football. Who was like, yeah, I got to go to bed at halftime. So uh, he finally gets to kind of enjoy the privileges that. Uh, the rest of us non non third and fourth shifters don't have to deal with. Now, Matt, when you were growing up, did you hear that alarm go off at two or three o'clock in the morning? Uh, I am an extremely heavy sleeper, so I did not hear the alarms go off. Okay, I I slept through my own alarms, much less anyone else's. So very good. <laughs> Uh, so we spent, as you might imagine, uh, a considerable amount of time on Monday on the show sitting in for Drew and KB. We were talking about the halftime show. And one of the things that I wanted to kick around with you a little bit, and I know it's a few days removed from it, but as far as next year and years to come, is there someone who would appeal to the most Americans when it comes to you know keeping those eyeballs for that 20-minute show in between the second and third quarter? Yeah, it's it's a tricky kind of needle to thread. I was I was trying to think of some actually because I was listening to that conversation, and you know I think there was a three year moment there where I think Imagine Dragons could have maybe been a halftime show at the Super Bowl, but they've kind of fallen off. Uh, they they're not quite the big get that I think the Super Bowl wants the big get. They want it to be an event booking. They want it to be somebody that maybe you don't get to see all the time. I think that's why country acts have a hard time. Uh, a lot of that is because I feel like country acts are performing all the time, constantly. There's about 45 televised awards shows for country music. They're always touring. I, I feel like, and that's not to say that other genres of music don't, but just feels like country is just always on. And I think for the NFL, they're like, we can... We, we, we can book somebody who's a little bit more, that feels a little bit more special as opposed to someone who you feel like is going to be at Summerfest again this year or something like that. So I do think it's convenient enough that you played her music on my intro. I do think Pink wouldn't be the worst Super Bowl halftime show. She's generation spanning. You know, young people know who she is. 
Older older people know who she is. Uh, she puts on a really good show. I'm not the hugest Pink fan, but I saw her live in concert, and she does. She puts on a show. She's kind of like she's kind of like Lady Gaga before there was a Lady Gaga. So I I think that could be a good one if you like maybe paired her up similar to how you did like J Lo and Shakira that one year. If you paired her up with another act, I think that would be a really good halftime show, or at least one that would get eyeballs. How about if you pair up one, uh, you, a different genres together you pick you, you do a blake shelton along with a lady gaga with a pink or whatever and you throw a rap in there and and you just put this hodgepodge and somehow you come up with a creative way to present that halftime show yeah you i mean the dream is to have the kind of aerosmith meets run dmc walk this way situation mm-hmm. where you know you have these two genres coming together i think the hard part is trying to make it seem planned out and seem you know coherent because you don't want a super bowl halftime show where like one act performs and then it feels like the show runs into a wall and then starts back up with a new genre of music you have to find a way to to mesh these genres kind of together in a way that feels like a coherent show i think that's always kind of the tricky part but i i think nowadays with so much i mean you look at you listen to the stuff that kane brown does or even God forbid the fancy like song that I absolutely despise. Those songs are really close proximity to pop and hip hop in a lot of ways. So there might be a way to kind of tie in maybe a Kane Brown with, you know, a, a hip hop act possibly or a rock act. Um, I know someone, I, I think someone yesterday brought up the Foo Fighters. I don't think they would be a bad Super Bowl halftime show either, but they might need, you might be have to have to pair them up with, you know, another genre to kind of bring the maximum eyeballs possible to the Super Bowl. Do you have a favorite Super Bowl halftime show that has already taken place in recent years? I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give the, the cliche answer and say Prince. I do really think that was an incredible halftime show. Uh, I, I really liked the Coldplay, Beyonce, Bruno Mars halftime show. I, I, I know everyone was dunking immensely on Coldplay at the time, but I think they performed a bunch of good songs. And I think when it was their time to kind of fade to the background and be the third act, they did that really well. And I think, uh, I think Bruno Mars and Beyonce played off each other really well. I thought that was a really fun halftime show. Yeah, Bruno and, got a uh, lot of good play on that. I mean, because people realized and had a chance to see just how talented that guy was. Yeah, and that was that weird one, too, where they have first announced Coldplay as the halftime show, and the world collectively shrugged. <laughs> and it was like, oh. No, no, we're not done uh, yet. We got other people. Yeah, they had to, like, go back, and they were like, no, 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 don't leave. Don't leave. We also have Bruno Mars and Beyonce. Please, please don't go. How does Beyonce um, take a, a backseat to Coldplay, though? That seems well, backwards. Because, yeah, well, I think it was because that was almost a Hail Mary on the NFL's part, because remember, she was the third – she was the third in there because it was Coldplay. And then they were like, no, 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 no. We also have Bruno Mars. And then I think with Beyonce, I think she was just released formation at that time. And Lemonade was kind of percolating in the, in the next few months. So she was, I think she was in a place where she was like, give me a big stage. I will do my one big song and it'll be good for you. And it'll be good for me. And and it was. I thought, I thought, again, this is a cool halftime show. I feel like even, okay, we've spent time on it. Doug and I have been talking about it earlier in the week and all that. Uh, even on the Monday after the game, we talked more about that halftime show than the actual 
game itself. Uh, Don't we do that every year, though? Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, is, is, is that where the Super Bowl So mission accomplished, right? The Super Bowl halftime show has gotten where it's, it's, it's just well, as big as the game now. In fairness, the, the game itself, for a game that was really close and really competitive, it wasn't a very interesting game to watch, I found. Like, there weren't a lot of big plays. There weren't a lot of, I would say, exciting moments. It was kind of a, a lukewarm game that was, that was, you know, like I said, it's weird because it was always close. It was practically a one-possession game the entire time. But it just didn't really find a good rhythm at any point. And maybe that mm-hmm. was a lot because of it's the Super Bowl ads. So anytime there was any momentum building up, they go, go they get to an ad break. So it's hard to feel like the game has a real flow to it. Uh, but but yeah, I think because the game was kind of you know kind of an entertaining but kind of uh, background noise game, the halftime show became more of the subject. Yeah, and I looked at both of those teams, and I took some feedback off of Twitter. I looked at both those teams, Cincinnati, the Rams, and, and the way they're playing out there. I'm like, man. If you just watch this, these are the two best teams in the NFL? These two teams? It was one of those games where the the defenses were definitely outplaying the offenses. And if you're one of those people who's like, oh, seven to three game, that rules. I love watching the good defensive struggle. It it was kind of that kind of game, especially when Joe Burrow was getting just swarmed under. I mean, sacks are good if you're rooting for the defense, but they're not exactly great television because it's, the absence of <laughs> the absence of forward progress on Milwaukee.com's Matt Miller joining us here on the Drew and KB show Doug Russell and Chuck Freeman in all right changing gears the uh, Oscar nominations recently came out your thoughts I haven't the one movie that I haven't seen yet that I would think about putting a mask on and going to the theater and watching is licorice pizza it looks I, I love Paul Thomas Anderson love everything that he's done um, what are your thoughts on the Oscar noms that came out? Does anything jump out at you? I, I think there are a bunch of really good nominations. And, you know, I hear a lot of people complaining about, oh, it's just a bunch of serious movies that no one has seen. What's the point and all that stuff? And I, I, I kind of feel bad for the Oscars because this is a really diverse slate of nominations in a lot of cases. You have a musical. You have a Western. You have a, weird, a, a noir throwback movie. You've got a kind of weird rom-com with licorice pizza. You've got a sports, uh, a sports inspirational movie with, with King Richard, a sci-fi blockbuster with Dune. You even have a comedy, ostensibly a comedy, because it's, it's not actually funny. Don't look up. Like, I don't quite understand what people want from the Oscar nominations other than why didn't they nominate Spider-Man? Why didn't they nominate my Marvel movie? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know what people kind of want from these nominations other than nominate the one movie that was popular this year. And you know what? To quote Don Draper, that's what the money's for. Spider-Man's not upset it didn't get an Oscar. Spider-Man has $800 million. It's, it's doing fine. <laughs> Do you have any early thoughts on who might uh, take home some of these trophies? I think uh, Will Smith. I think this is his his year to finally win Best Actor. He's never won an Oscar before. People really love his his performance in King Richard, and they, some people just have that that narrative of it's time. And I think people are like, it is time for Will Smith to finally get his Oscar. He probably should have gotten it for Ali about twenty years ago, uh, but we'll give it to him now for this. Uh, and I think best picture, if you're if you're a betting person, I think it's between either Power of the Dog, the Western on Netflix as we speak, or Belfast, which is this black and white 
growing up coming of age story in Ireland, uh, which I don't understand why people love that movie. It is, it is to me Oscar bait the movie, um, but it's obviously it, it's worked. They, 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 the, the hooks, the hook landed. Um, and I, I hate to say this, don't look up might win best picture. I'm it's wow. a movie I actively despise and I don't think is good, and is only a good movie in comparison to Adam McKay's last movie Vice. But the people who love it are really passionate about it, and uh, it, it it was viewed by a lot of people, and I. I think it could sneak in there. It's possible, but it could. So, Matt, any as far as music coming to Milwaukee here in Wisconsin, anything that ca- I know the Eagles have just announced that they're they're coming here at the end of March. Anything that catches your eye at all? I'm excited for Dua Lipa at Pfizer Forum at the end of the month. I think that's a really good get for Pfizer Forum, and I think her music really got a lot of people through this pandemic, this kind of throwback dance hall, disco eighties music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think really was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I think uh, I would love to see her at Pfizer form. I'll be interested to see the rest of the Summerfest lineup. They announced, uh, they announced a few additional acts. Halsey is going to be headlining there. And also Rod Stewart, who honestly is the kind of performer that like I had to remind myself, Oh, he's still alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the Rod, the, the Rod Stewart, the Rod Stewart cheap trick doesn't really do a lot for me. Yeah. And I know I'm not the target audience for that. Like that is a few generations beyond me, but yeah. uh, I genuinely like Rod Stewart's a guy that hasn't really kept himself in the kind of the public conscience very well. So I'll be interested to see how that show sells uh, for all that. For all I know, it ends up being the biggest draw of the show, because that is the entire festival, because that's what happens in a lot of cases, these shows that I'm like, who's going to see that? And then you're like, oh, that's right, you know? Summerfest isn't always aimed just at me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you some Dua Lipa on the way out. Uh, Matt Miller from OnMilwaukee.com. Enjoy the, uh, thanks for the time, by the way, tonight, as always. Enjoy the dog sled uh, races up in the Upper Peninsula, Wisconsin's uh, northern part of the state. Marquette? Yeah, Marquette, Michigan, Wisconsin. And, uh, and Wisconsin's hat. Exactly. Well, you know, we've ceded Door County to Illinois. Uh, Michigan can give us the UP. I mean, I think it all works out because there's probably more Wisconsinites hey, up there anyway. Sports gambling's allowed in the UP, not in say, not Wisconsin. Marijuana also, marijuana also is legal in the UP, yeah. as I found out. Well, I really will yeah. let you go now. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> got got something to take care of a, a little bit later on. Matt, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Matt. There he goes. Matt Miller from on yeah. Milwaukee. If you can see in the Upper Peninsula to have uh, sports gambling, we have one in Wisconsin, of course, Oneida in Green Bay. Sure. So, and, and as he said, you know, we found out that weed was legal up there, too. Yeah. I, the, if you go on 41, you see the signs. I was astonished. I uh, was in Canada about mm, four years ago or so, mm-hmm. and there's a weed dispensary on every corner in Vancouver. Really? Yeah. It's Everywhere in Vancouver, in in Vancouver. Vancouver for just vacationing. Uh, we were, that's where our port was on our Alaskan cruise. Okay, so oh. yeah, everywhere. A little surprised. It was everywhere. Yeah, that's Canada for you. Yeah. All right, we'll uh, have our quick trip, quick takeaways of the show when we return. One final segment: Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman, in for Drew and KB. Stay with us.
Doug Russell, Chuck Freeman, coming to you from the Iron Jock Studios. Iron Jock, the most advanced performance apparel ever made, now through February 27th, by $75 or more of Iron Jock. And you'll get a no-stink duffel bag for free. No promo code. As long as your shopping cart is over 75 bucks, the free duffel bag is automatically added to your order. Go to ironjock.com. That's ironjoc.com. So you go to the gym. You don't want to stink. Wear the Iron Jock stuff. You're not going to stink. Throw it in a duffel bag. You can't throw it in a duffel bag that's going to make it stink anyway. can't have your duffel bag stink. No. That's why they made the Iron Jock no stink duffel bag. It's all working. It's all connected. It's all connected, and it's yours for free if you just order $75 or more from Iron Jock. IronJOC.com. All right. Time now for our quick trip, quick takes of the day before we get out of here. It's brought to you by Quick Trip. If you need something for dinner tonight, don't cook. Stop by your local Quick Trip and pick up a freshly prepared home uh, take-home meal. Always fresh, never frozen. The fettuccine Alfredo with grilled chicken, spicy chicken penne, meatloaf with mashed potatoes, spaghetti, meatballs. Just go visit the go visit the aisle there and just take them home, eat them up. Yep, put it in the microwave when you get home and you're good. And you're good to go Nobody wants to cook tonight. No. Come on now. It's a Thursday night. Come on now. What's your takeaway of the day? My takeaway, Michelle Tafoya is never going to work in the media again. Well, she's never going to work in sports media again. Sports media again. She will never work in sports media again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's my take. Uh, You know, some of her comments and all that, unfortunately, for Michelle... She's um, going to have to go the political route the rest of her life. I think that's what she wanted to do anyway, though. Yeah. Good and if, and if, that's the cho- if that's her chosen path, I wish her well. She's yeah. very, very good. Oh, yeah. She's Talent. very, very good she on television. She can do anything. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, my takeaway is I'm just going to kind of seed my takeaway to uh, one of our texters, Janesville Joe, mm-hmm. and he puts it perfectly. And I'm just going to read his text. People in this country and maybe across the globe, I don't know. But in America, we've lost the ability to debate intelligently on topics that we may disagree upon. If you don't see things the way others do, they will now attack you and you are their enemy. It's a sad state of humanity that we have brought ourselves to. He's absolutely correct. I agree with him. Yeah. That's uh, couldn't have said it better myself. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let Janesville Joe have my quick trip, quick take of the day. Nothing wrong with seeding that. Uh, one more day to go. One more day. You and I back at 3 tomorrow. Uh, 3 to 6. It's been a fun week so far. Four days of doing this. We've been, uh, you know, for a, kind of a dead week in sports. We've had a couple of college teams play. The Bucks are playing Philly tonight. It's their last game before the All-Star break. It is. Against Philly, a team that's in the fifth seed. No James Harden again. Um, probably not to the playoffs, I would guess. Mm. Probably, you know, he's got an injury okay. Can't win with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other teams have found that out. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. This room won't be open till your brothers or your sisters